Well, hello and welcome to episode number 300 of the Plain Talking UK podcast. I'm Carlos here live at the Millennium Suite in the uh, Renaissance Hotel at London Heathrow. And uh, with me this week, uh, pushing all the right buttons, as always, is my first co-host, Matt Smith. Well, hello there. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, Matt. I'm a bit busy. You'll forgive me if I don't do a great deal of talking this afternoon. Okay, we'll let you off. We'll let you off. We'll let you get on. So sitting next to me on the uh, top table here, uh, another chap who likes to push all the right buttons, and that is, of course, the king of visuals, Neville Bands. Yes, good afternoon, everybody. Hello. Hope you're all well, and uh, thanks very much indeed for coming. Really appreciate everybody's uh, contribution to today. It's been uh, fantastic so far. So sitting to my left, no introduction needed, really, Steph, Aww. honestly, is uh, the one of the greatest hosts of APG, the Airline Pilot Guy Show. <laughs> Is of course Jeff is laughing about that. Uh, I know, so I guess maybe I that's not true. <laughs> it's of course Dr. Steph. Hey Carlos, glad I could make it. Congratulations on 300 episodes, guys. Thank you. And thanks for flying in because obviously you made the trek and you landed this morning. Yes. And Fresh uh, off the plane. when are you flying home? Tomorrow. Yeah. There we as, go. As you do. <laughs> and you're back at work Monday. Yes. Oh, brilliant. Yes. Thanks. Well, thanks for coming across Steph. That's ah, very kind. My of pleasure. <laughs> glad to be here. And sitting next to Steph next on the panel this guy, well, he's uh, a legend unto himself. Uh, for those of you who watched our Christmas special will know that uh, he also poses as a rather famous red-suited guy at Christmas time. It's, of course, Captain Nick. Well, thanks very much indeed uh, for having me on the show. Very kind of you guys. Much appreciated. Can't believe you've actually made 300 shows. How on earth did it carry on this long? <laughs> With your help, Nick. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Marvellous. So sitting next to Nick uh, from the Layovers podcast, another fantastic aviation podcast. And I'm not going to say your surname, Paul, because every time <laughs> I do, I get this really wrong. So from the Layovers podcast, it's Paul. Hi there, guys. And thank you so much for having me for the 300. Um, and hello from Alex, my co-host, who couldn't be here today with us. Um, we are episode 102, and the bet is, will we reach 300 before or after the third runway from Heathrow opens? <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Or but congratulations, guys, really. Or before Lufthansa upgrade their point system. Yeah. Oh, that's just to get me <laughs> okay, started. Okay. <laughs> but I have the shoes. I have the Lufthansa shoes today. The ones that were given to crew on uh, August 2018. They had one day where they were able to wear sneakers for work, and I bought them off eBay, so... I kind of like Lufthansa, actually. Okay. Thanks. For coming, Paul, it's good to see you. And next to Paul, he is the king, the don, the legend. He is the lord of airline pilot guy. It is, of course, (laughs) Captain Jeff. Hello, everyone, and it's great to be here to help you celebrate this monumental... um, Cock up. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry I paused for a moment to let Nick interject something, but this uh, monumental occasion, it's great. Glad to be here. Congratulations. Thank you, Jeff. It's, uh, it's not, you, we appreciate the fact you made the journey as well across the sea, so uh, thank you. It's, it's great to see you, as always. Yes. And on the very end of the table, it uh, is the guy who flies... The posh aircraft around, we'll call them. It's uh, it's our king of... I shouldn't say that. I should say safe jet. We'll bleep that out in post. Well, you should have seen his... We're, we all know anyway, Pip. 
It's the uh, King of Safe Chat and the host of the Plane Safety Podcast. It's Pilot Pip. Thank you very much. Is this thing on? <laughs> Thank you, Carlos. <laughs> uh, yeah, great to be here. Um, my uh, partner and podcasting wife, Captain Al, sends his regards. He's uh, in Bucharest working, so he can't be here, but uh, he sends his love and congratulations on 300 episodes. What an achievement. In fact, actually, uh, that sounds like a perfect opportunity. We were sent a message by Captain Al. Oh, no. Break, brace yourselves, everyone. <laughs> Hello, everyone. It's Captain Al here. I'm so sorry that I can't make it to the 300th show. Frankly, I'm amazed it got past 30, but there you go. That's how things go. No, unfortunately, someone's got to go flying today. So just to keep uh, Miss Thunberg happy, I'm actually going to fly passengers rather than be a passenger. I see that Captain Jeff and Dr. Steph have added to the CO2 emissions for the world. And as I've not had beans this morning, I'm doing my bit by actually keeping the carbon dioxide emissions down to a low level. I'm here at the uh, Hilton Garden Inn in Bucharest. Uh, that's right, it's a Hilton property, the finest properties that you can find around. Available at good rates at hilton.com. And that is genuine lift music that you can hear in the background. But jokes aside, I'm really disappointed that I can't be with everyone today. I hope you have a fantastic time. And don't give me a moment's thought at any time. Have a great day. Captain Al out. Thank you, Captain Al. So some of you may have noticed that we are missing uh, a member of the PTUK team uh, today. And, uh, but I'm pleased to say that a certain Armando has dialed in. So welcome, Armando. the panel awesome to hear everyone there in the audience and the chat room is already buzzing uh, obviously like Al said I wish I was there but having just recently joined the world of commercial aviation they put me on reserve right away and immediately made it so I, I wasn't able to go there so uh, I'm missing you guys I, I can't wait to hear the rest of the show and, and above all congratulations to Carlos Matt Nev on 300 episodes that is a pretty awesome achievement isn't it thanks Armando it's great but uh, obviously what was the time difference your side so you're four hours behind us five, five hours oh, we're, we're five hours so it's not too bad this morning as opposed to some of the other episodes that we've recorded where it's uh, five in the morning now but it's uh, it's eight o'clock here I've already had two cups of coffee so ready to go excellent uh, up to any flying this uh, this past few days Armando are you uh, obviously been training and uh, getting your the uh, flying in with your new airline yeah, you know, just like uh, Pip, when he does his uh, segments, kind of describing how airline training goes or simulator training, it's it's been a bit of a fire hose of information. You know, they throw you into the into the simulator and they make you sweat quite a bit. And uh, next thing you know, you're out there flying flying the real airplane with passengers, and I got a chance to do that. So it was a very very cool and just kind of a dream come true for me, uh, post military career. Oh, it's great to see you anyway, Armando, and thanks for uh, thanks for joining us today. Of course. I wish I was there in person, but this will have to do. So, for those of you watching the live stream on YouTube, Matt has been very busy over the last 24 hours and has put a camera upstairs overlooking uh, one oh, of the largest views that. at Heathrow. <laughs> <laughs> for those of you who watch the live show, you know I like to put Matt through the paces when we're doing a live show. He enjoys the tech, the tech uh, technically stuff, so... Uh, but we have got a, uh, a camera feed that looks over London Heathrow. 
And for those of you who are watching the live stream, and for those of you here, you'll be able to see that uh, on the screen. There we go, the live feed from outside here, uh, where we overlook the room here, which is great to feed us. So well done, Matt. Thanks for that. You done well though. I'll give you a round of applause. There's, there's nothing I can say. <laughs> Moving on. Yeah. Moving on. So we've got uh, we've got some news stories to go through before we uh, start anything. So uh, without further ado, if everyone's ready to uh, to discuss this week's aviation news, sure. Let's yes. go. Soaking off this week's first news story, this one's on flightglobal.com, one of Nev's favourite websites for font usage. So, British Airways A390, watch the show too much. British Airways A319 spoiler strayed after maintenance lap. Really? I should give this story to you now, honestly. Investigators have determined a failure to follow maintenance procedures resulted in a BA A319 experiencing an in-flight control problem arising from a loose spoiler. While taxiing at London Gatwick on the 2nd of April last year, the aircraft had returned to stand to resolve a flight control status message and two engineers discovered a faulty spoiler actuator. They commenced a maintenance procedure to deactivate the spoiler, which involved using a special tool, a spoiler maintenance key, to place the spoiler into the maintenance position. The UK Air Accidents Investigation Branch says the work was carried out in a cold and wet weather, and the engineers had difficulty using the handheld tablet with the maintenance information. Although an operational test was carried out to check to see if the spoiler could be raised manually, it was not. Despite having to uh, having a remove before flight tag, the key remained installed after the A319 was dispatched for its flight to Palma de Mallorca. In this configuration, the spoiler was able to float upwards uh, from the stow position, which caused the crew to experience flight control problems en route. While in cruise, the aircraft was flying two degrees left wing down with rudder, right, uh, rudder trim, right rudder trim, and vibrating. The crew consulted with the carrier's maintenance control and a cabin crew member was asked to check the wing visually. Now, Nick, you are an Airbus, or ex-Airbus pilot. Um, obviously a smaller aircraft, quite considerably smaller than they used to fly, but um, an issue you've heard of before? Oh yeah, it's very same in principle, uh, regardless of the size of the airplane. We all know the spoilers are the panels on the uh, wings that uh, raise when you select uh, speed brakes out to uh, help you descend faster, when air traffic uh, cock things up and leave you too high on the approach. Uh, <laughs> and as we like to say to air traffic, uh, the speed brakes serve to cure our mistakes, not yours. Um, so the, the, on the Airbus's I flew, there were like five either side. I'm not sure how many there are on a 319, sorry, two, what was it, a 319? 319. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, the principle's the same. Uh, they're hydraulically raised, uh, and they're a long, thin panel, uh, and uh, they're normally held down uh, in flight to keep the wing nice and smooth. Now, if one is unpowered and allowed to float, uh, the low pressure on the wing will encourage that spoiler to uh, rise up. Um, and, of course, that will uh, create a little bit of roll effect because it's like putting a little bit of aileron onto that wing. Uh, and also it will vibrate, because just as the speed brakes do when you select them out, they buff it, and so you'll get a little bit of buff it from them. Uh, and uh, it's not usually a big problem, so long as you've got enough fuel to counter the extra drag, and it does give you a bit of a handling uh, issue. Uh, the airplane will want to just 
be left wing or in this case left wing lower a little bit when you put the flaps down the uh, pressure patterns over the wings change so they can raise even more but th there is a procedure in the manuals to account for this you raise the landing speed a little bit because obviously you've got uh, spoiled airflow over that portion of that wing so you can't come in at your normal approach speed you need to come at a higher approach speed and all that's laid down um, the the reason for the the maintenance lapse I don't know um, it obviously it wasn't very nice weather but uh, uh, you know the guys are supposed to follow the the procedures uh, fairly rigorously so shame that happened but it's quite possible that they could have had a hydraulic failure in flight and caused the same issue uh, the fact that it was a maintenance issue is a bit irrelevant really but I guess the guy will want to uh, uh, well they they'll probably want to look at their procedures to make sure they're uh, following them correctly but. Quite honestly, uh, from a pilot's point of view, apart from being a bit awkward to handle on the approach, it's, I would say, a bit of a non-event. So, I was going to say, moving on to the next story, Matt's rather busy. So, uh, Nev. Yes. Sorry, just before you go on, did you want to mention my um, impressive equipment? <laughs> <laughs> in case anyone in the audience wanted to... Yeah, if everyone, anyone, while we're doing the stories, if anyone's got a question, by the way, in the oldies, just uh, give us a... Put your hand up and we'll uh, send Pip out with the roving. Just wink uh, at me or flash me or... Throw things. Or yeah. anything. You know, just on this story before you move yeah. on, if I can comment. Um, we've, over the years, at my company had several incidents where maintenance personnel have left things, tools, screwdrivers, hammers, whatever, in uh, places in the aircraft. And most maintenance places should have quite a robust uh, audit process with the tool. So every tool has maybe a, a barcode or some kind of identification number and each time it's taken out it's you know scanned out and logged out and it should be at the end of the shift logged back in so if ever there's a tool missing they can kind of trail back and find out where that is exactly for this reason if it's been left in a you know in, a, in an aircraft behind the rudder pedals or in the flight control somewhere it can cause uh, cause sounds exactly like a surgical yeah, count it, <laughs> exactly familiar with that thank you pip I guess things are a little bit more scaled down for the the, the, the airline that you fly for, because obviously the, the aircraft they're they're obviously a lot smaller than the. Yeah, but know. there's still plenty of places you can yeah. lose a, a, whatever a hammer, a screwdriver. Like I say, we've had it several times where they've found torches, flashlights, or whatever in the in the innards of the airplane, and if it gets into the wrong place, it can really cause a, a big problem. I think I think that's standard for. Um Boeing uh, South Carolina factory. They leave stuff oh, on the high <laughs> on the Dreamliners, right? <laughs> Sorry for that one. <laughs> <laughs> no, That's what the news story says. As the South Carolina representative here, I will say no comment. Uh, when I was uh, in the Air Force, we uh, on the Phantom, we had calls to open a panel that was on the wing that had never been opened before. The aircraft was about 12, 15 years old, and they found a McDonnell Douglas uh, pair of pliers still sitting in the wing. That you've been left there since manufacture. <laughs> wow. So, we're going to give Matt a break because he's obviously uh, in full tech mode. So, uh, just for a change, we're going to give uh, story number two to uh, Mr. Bounds. Yes. And it's, uh, you'll, be, you'll be pleased to know, Jeff, it's a, uh, we're, yeah, we're going green with this next story. We're going green. <laughs> we're going green. <laughs> he's right. 
Um, and this is on the uh, irishtimes.com uh, website. Uh, and I don't normally do a Ryanair story, so this is completely new to me. Uh, Ryanair has again claimed to be Europe's greenest and cleanest major airline, despite uh, recently being named as one of the continent's worst polluters by the EU's Transport and Environment Group. Uh, the carrier uh, bases its claim to green credentials on having the lowest carbon footprint per passenger of any European airline. Uh, the company published figures on Tuesday showing that it produced 69 grams of carbon dioxide per passenger for every kilometre its craft travelled in December. It claimed that this was half the rate of other European airlines. However, according to data released this month by the same group, uh, Ryanair was responsible for 9.9 .9 million tonnes of CO2 emissions in 2018, making it one of Europe's top 10 worst polluters. Uh, the airline was one of only two non-energy companies on the list uh, and, the other, uh, and the other airline. Uh, the uh, uh, other was the container shipping company MSC. Uh, the other eight on the list were coal-fired power plants. Uh, aviation is one of the sectors coming under intense pressure to reduce its carbon footprint as public fears about climate change uh, grow. I've got a question, Nev. Was yeah. that coal-fired power plant a uh, mad dog? <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't say, but we can draw our own conclusions, possibly. Um, but it says that, um, uh, where are we? Yes, Kenny Jacobs, who's the Chief Marketing Officer uh, of uh, Ryanair, says that our CO2 per passenger kilometre is the lowest in the industry, having been cut from 82 grams to 66 uh, over the last decade, whilst other high fare competitors currently generate over 120 grams per kilometre passenger, he said. Uh, the single most important thing any consumer can do uh, to reduce their carbon footprint is to switch to Ryanair. Uh, we are pleased to announce that our CO2 per pax kilometre for December was 69 grams, half the rate of other flag carrying European airlines, and we are committed to reducing this by a further 10% to under 60 grams per passenger kilometre by 2030, Mr Jacobs says. So we've got, obviously, you guys here in the audience. Hands up who's actually flown with Ryanair. Okay, Keep, leave your hands quite, up. Quite a few. For leave your hands up if you enjoyed your experience with Ryanair. Three. <laughs> yeah, this, um, yeah, they're doing well. They're doing well. Your favourite, Matt. So we're going to move on to the next story. So, uh, uh, Steph, do you want to take the next story? Sure. This is the uh, New Zealand Herald one. Headline is, British Airways' sassy tweet to disgruntled customer dramatically backfires. A social media employee with British Airways has been praised for her witty response to a customer who tried to shame the airline for delaying her flight because of a failed passport signature. A customer took to Twitter to publicly complain to British Airways about being refused entry onto a plane because her passport wasn't signed. Um, there's an abbreviation for an expletive here <laughs> uh, in the tweet. Um, she tweeted, at British Airways, our flight is 20 minutes late because the first officer was stuck in traffic to the airport. Uh, despite that, gate staff refused to let me on the flight because my passport wasn't signed. So instead, we held up the queue for another five minutes while I practiced my signature. The passenger went on to complain that she hadn't realized a certain page required a signature, but didn't understand why the del already delayed line had to wait even longer for her to sign. But instead of an apology, the airline responded with the following choice words. 
there are times when we have to accept responsibility for our own actions, the tweet read. If you'd signed your passport when you received it, this wouldn't have become an issue. Angela. <laughs> the airline worker's sassy response received a mix of celebration and criticism, with some applauding Angela, in quotes, for her shade, while others viewed the response as the rudest customer service they've, they'd ever witnessed. Uh, one person wrote, Angela at British Airways deserves a raise. <laughs> Another added, well, that told you, as a cabin crew member myself, I love that Angela is standing up for her crew. Others, however, saw the tweet as a lack of respect and poor handling of a complaint. That's incredibly rude. I was about to spend several thousand in long-haul flights with you over the next few months. That will instead be going to a different airline. Awful apology. Goodness, rudest complaint or customer service response ever. Awful. British Airways has since removed the tweet. Shocking. Now, Nev, being our BI sponsor here today, we were talking about this yesterday, weren't we, about this particular story. So you got any thoughts? I think it's the best tweet I've seen out of uh, the British Airways social media department for a very long time. Um, how difficult can it be to sign your passport? And um, of course, airlines are fined very heavily um, if passengers board and they don't have the correct documentation, uh, especially at the other end, and especially in the US as well. That's mm -hmm. very bad. Mm -hmm. So I think British Airways did exactly the right thing. It's a bit unfortunate that it's been taken down, though. But well, it went viral <laughs> uh, very quickly, didn't it? Oh, it did. So, I, yeah. I actually think I have a screenshot of the tweet because I was pretty sure it was going to be taken down, yeah. and I just really Fantastic. enjoyed Angela's response, personally. Um, I want to know why it took this passenger five minutes to sign her passport. Mm. Yeah. That's a little concerning to me. She, she had to eyes. practice her signature. Yes, yes, my yeah. finest penmanship for my signature on my passport. I don't think you'd want her sitting at the emergency exit uh, if it all went wrong uh, no. on the wrong way. Would no. you really? That would not, not go well, I don't think. Uh, I can now say it because I've just switched passport to a new one, but for my previous passport, which is now full, uh, the signature was not mine. You know, they don't really care. You have to have a signature. I needed the passport to have a signature for a visa. I was not here in London. I asked, I say, can somebody just sign something that resembles my signature so they haven't, so yeah, don't really, you can put, an, you can put a cross and you'll find it's, it's a signature, it doesn't really matter. But that's good that you told us that here where nowhere else can hear you say that, it's very private. No, but now it's, I have a new passport so it's over. I would check his signature. Yes, compare that to other documents, definitely. So moving on, Nick, obviously yes, the next story, uh, Regard, is regarding uh, a big Airbus order. Uh, yeah, apparently uh, Spirit Airlines makes a big Airbus order. They finalized its order for up to 150 A320neos, uh, a deal that will fuel Spirit's plan to double in size over the next five years. As expected, the South Florida-based discounter firmed its previous commitment for 100 uh, A320neo family aircraft plus 50 options at the end of December. The jets, which complement its current uh, A320 family fleet, include uh, A319neo, A320neo, and A321neo. It's like an <laughs> episode of Matrix, isn't it? Um, Spirit has big growth plans for the next few years. It plans to uh, grow by double digits this year, double digits, focusing on connecting markets in its network and adding new destinations. We're going to double our size by 2025, which is another way of saying they'll double their size in five years. Uh, Spirit Vice President in in-flight experience, 
uh, Lania Rittenhouse told reporters in December. Uh, Complementing the planned growth is a new passenger cabin and seats on its planes that Spirit uh, debuted in December. The new cabin includes a refreshed look, emphasising the airline's yellow and black livery. It'll be looking like your car, Nev. Um, whilst the seats aim to increase usable space uh, through uh, the new design and moving the literature pocket to the top of the seat back. How novel. Um, Spirit uh, plans to take delivery of 21 320s this year but it's looking for up to seven more aircraft to bolster its fleet growth. So, uh, all marvellous for Airbus and Spirit. What do they like to fly on? I've never flown on. Anyone, Anyone flown Spirit Airlines? Uh, Spirit? No. Um, nope. They're a low cost. Yeah, I've, uh, I've actually flown one. Spirit yeah. quite a bit. Oh, okay. um, oh good. And Who's that? <laughs> the voice of God. <laughs> it's the voice, the voice behind the curtain, Nick. Look right over your left shoulder. No, right, no, right shoulder. Now, I see, you know, while, while you were reading that story, I was looking at Spirit's numbers, and I didn't realize that they'd grown so fast. In 2014, they had 65 aircraft. In 2018, they had 128 aircraft. So if they're doubling their fleet in the next couple of years uh, you know in, in just the span of seven years they have quadrupled their fleet so obviously spirit has caught on to something here in the u.s and they're doing something right you probably know armando if you've been in the uh, charlotte airport recently they just started service in and out of there as well so definitely growing yeah that's right you know mm-hmm. pretty much everywhere we we go now um i'm seeing a lot of spirit uh, activity and, and presence and, and they have some you know, they've, they've pretty much taken up the European model where they're saving costs they're using third party uh, ground handlers, third party cleaners. They're saving money on jetways. They're flying into, you know, not, not always the uh, kind of like Allegiant, not always the biggest airports. But, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see. You know, they, they seem to be making it work that that sort of Ryanair EasyJet model here in the U.S. Are they working out of hubs, Amanda? They do. So they, they fly into and out of uh, some of the major hubs, but then some of their outstations will be a remote or a satellite airport. Okay. Oh, good luck with them. So, Paul. Yes. Long distance flying for the next story. Simple flying. Oh, I've never done that one. I've done very long, but this is the longest. So Qantas is facing the prospect of adding a fuel stop to the world's third longest flight. Uh, the airline is taking steps to avoid flying over Iraq and Iran following uh, the crash of, or the downing, that's not in the article, of uh, an Ukrainian Boeing 737. The downing, actually, because this morning, I think Iran uh, finally said that they mistakenly shot down the, the plane. The extra distance required to divert means that the airline will need an, to add a refueling stop in Asia to the outbound service or offload a massive 90 passengers to reduce weight. And then, la la la, uh, what is it says that's interesting. The world's third longest flight is looking to lose its appeal as Qantas is forced to add its stop. Uh, that's QF9 and QF10. Uh, they usually tra- uh, traverse a large portion of Iranian and Iraqi airspace on their 14,500 kilometer flight. How many miles? I don't know. I don't know how to translate that. However, following the FAA decision to ban US airlines flying in Iran and Iraqi airspace, Qantas has announced it will avoid flying over both these nations until further notice. 
They don't say where that stop would be, but I guess it will be as Singapore because that's what they do with the other flights. The detour is expected to add some uh, 40 to 50 minutes of flight time to the trip. The article is very long, it's just blah, 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 because as always, simple flying does a lot of blah, blah, but there you go. Um, have, you, have you guys done this super long flight to Australia, this direct to no. Perth, for instance? Mm -hmm. No. It's extremely expensive if you look at it. Um, it's, uh, what, um, I think it's at least 30% more expensive than if you do a stop. So you really, but then, yeah. Yeah, what, what are the chances of DVTs then on these really, really long mm. flights? Higher, but I don't know by what percentage. Mm. Yeah. During the during their so they call it uh, Qantas calls it the Project Sunrise, right? So looking to connect um, Sydney directly to London and to New York, but to London that would be the longest flight ever. So they've done it's a bit of marketing because honestly you can already do flights that are eighteen like seventeen eighteen hours, and this is nineteen and a half. So and they went into uh, this old PR of doing these flights with very reduced load invited some bloggers and journalists and they do exercises and people yeah, like actually, do yoga and yeah they did it with um uh, they had quite a few airline employees i think for Qantas yeah. on the flight as well and they kind of treated it like a little bit of a, a human physiology science experiment um, where they tried to time it with circadian rhythms so that people slept yeah. when they should be asleep or up when they should be up and get up and actually move around and try and prevent some of those complications of long-haul flying and they would also they have special options for food, apparently, to also reduce, you know, sure. the like tiredness, and etc. Yeah. I, I mean, they said that they would probably go with a 350, 1000 to do that, but they haven't fully decided yet. Mm. Yep, I think you're correct. But I think, again, I think it's a bit of a PR thing to have people doing yoga in a flight because we're probably not going to do yoga in a flight, let's be it's, very it's honest. It's easy to do when you have a very light load and you have you um, yeah. passengers who are there willingly as part of, uh, you know, whether it's PR or whether it's, you know, to really look at it from a scientific standpoint to see um, some of the physiolog uh, physiological effects. Um, but yeah, on a, a full plane or close to capacity for however many passengers they can take on a flight like that, it would be much more difficult. Um, I don't know how many of you have tried to even get up and try to get just to the lavatory on a flight, even a long haul flight, and sometimes that's even <laughs> difficult or tricky. There's not a lot of space to move around. But I think what they will do, uh, they will, because at first, if you read the articles from the very beginning of Project Sunrise, they basically told you that they would have like a gym in a, f in a plane, which is totally insane, right? We know that. Sounds good to me. <laughs> but well. they will, they will probably uh, have a space in the back which will be without seats for people to kind of wander a bit. That's probably the most likely outcome of uh, their uh, the project. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's always baffled me a little bit why airlines um, advertise these flights, these ultra long, nineteen hour flights, as though it's a good thing, yeah. like it's a selling <laughs> point. Come on, who, who wants to do this? I'd rather, I'd rather stop myself. I'd rather. Oh, I, do a very, I do very long flights, uh, a lot actually, and this, I always want to stop. It's even if it's two hours just to kind of wander around and just stretch my legs or whatever, it's easier. We could settle this right now. Hands up all those who would rather a non-stop 19-hour flight over one with a stop. Oh man, you're crazy. What's wrong with you people? Well, if you have a stop, you, you're going to have the approach, you're going to taxi in, you're going to yep. wait while the aircraft's cleaned and refueled, uh, and then you're going to get back on it again and continue your flight. You're just adding three hours to the flight time. And, uh, and per uh, sorry. No, that was it. And? 
And but, so it makes what would be a 19-hour flight into a 22-hour flight. That's pretty miserable. But where, where you're absolutely right is that Qantas has released the numbers for uh, the Perth London, and it's 94% f- full. So people are actually buying, and probably business people especially, because these flights, again, are very expensive, so it works. So but you said the direct flight is cheaper than the one with the stop? Uh, no, the direct flight is actually uh, more expensive. More expensive. Uh-huh. Okay. That's why, yeah. Oh, but that's interesting. Yeah, I can see it working for people who absolutely have to be somewhere yeah. for business. I mean, you know, we kind of talked about this, I think, yeah. both your podcast and other podcasts about how in this day and age, a lot of business can be conducted remotely or via, you know, video conferencing and whatnot, if you really have to. Um, but if you really have to be there for some reason and, you know, time is important, then that's an appealing option to some folks. But don't I forget mean, as well, when you're sitting in economy on that length of flight, I think we'd all rather be in business class or first. I think it would be well, much I, I more. I don't care if it's a yeah. 30-minute flight or a 19-hour flight, I'd rather be in first. <laughs> 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 but, but actually, Singapore, the longest flight, Singapore, Newark to Singapore, only has premium economy and business class. It don't have uh, economy. But with that, stand with that story, though, um, going on to the news that obviously broke last night, your guys' thoughts on, uh, obviously, Iran have admitted to unintentionally shooting down that aircraft. Um, any thoughts from the pilots on the I, I think it would have to be unintentional because uh, they had so many Iranian citizens on board, uh, they would hardly have done that to their own people. Mm. And quite honestly, if it had been chock full of... Uh, um, folk from the United States, then you might have thought otherwise. But they've got no particular uh, gripe against Canada, so I don't see that being a problem. Uh, the reason it got shut down, well, I don't see Iran as having an integrated air defense system that uh, coordinates uh, civil departures with military aircraft, tracks them, so that all the military uh, missile systems there on the ground know exactly where the civil aircraft are and how to identify them, etc. I see this as being a fairly autonomous uh, missile system that uh, you know fired at an aircraft, and it was shortly after, obviously, the uh, uh, missile strikes were uh, initiated from I- uh, Iran into um, uh, Iraq. So, um, uh, yeah, they would probably have been uh, anticipating retaliation, uh, and anything that was flying was going to be vulnerable at that point. I must admit, if I'd been uh, the Ukrainian airline straight after all those missiles went, I probably would have grounded my fleet for a while until I had worked out what the hell was going on, um, because uh, this is just sort of the, the time when mistakes can be made. I think there were several yeah, airlines. Yeah, I'll add in. Uh, for Nick, the the missile system that is believed to have been used on this is a... Uh, it's like it's a little bit bigger than a than a shoulder-launched missile. It's it is a, a wheeled vehicle. It's a Tor M1, which is similar to the SA-15. So it is something that is generally decentralized, especially in a in a situation like that where the Iranian government is expecting a retaliation. They will often, not just the Iranians, but anybody will give orders to their uh, field units to say, hey, if communications do go down, which is one of the first things, you guys have the authority to fire. So this could have been a communications failure. It could have been a command and control failure where you know, a, a trigger-happy air defense battalion was out there and they thought they saw something and accidentally fired this, this missile. I think 
a lot of us in the communi- or the communication, the aviation industry started seeing some of the pictures flow out from Tehran and immediately thought, well, you know, the, the patterns on the fuselage and the tail uh, were pretty indicative of some kind of, you know, ball bearing type thing that, that had struck the fuselage the way the metal was, was curved inward, not outward. Um, the, the patterns coming from back to front on the aircraft, it, it was pretty clear right off the bat that, that the aircraft was, uh, was shot down by something. So I, I anticipate that the information will be limited coming out of Iran, but uh, at least they, they have seemed to uh, pony up to it. Mm. Well, they invited the NTSB, but the irony is that I think they cleaned up the site already. So there's a bulldozed side of the accident, so there's no real reason for the NTSB. I mean, I don't know. But they, they already, they, do you remember, guys, uh, what was it, Iran Air 655 that was shot down by uh, this, uh, was it a U.S. carrier? Or yeah, that's mm. that that's was, correct. Nin- 1988. Um, so there's there's been a few other unfortunately that, yeah. dozens of airliner shootdowns. You know, Korean Air double, uh, double double 007, seven. Yeah. Uh, Iranian six five five. There was uh, Ita- light, um, Itavia Itavia something, uh, if I remember correctly. Yeah, L L four zero two back in the sixties. There's there's quite a few. Um, examples of just airliners being in the wrong place. Korean Airlines 007 was accidentally shot down because they thought it was a reconnaissance plane. And that was shot down by aircraft from air-to-air missiles. And it was just, it was nighttime. The 747 looks a lot like a 707 reconnaissance aircraft at night. And uh, they weren't responding to radio calls and, and they shot it down and everyone lost their lives on that one. So it's just one of those unfortunate things that happens. And uh, like Nick was saying, I, if I was the commercial operator, I, I probably wouldn't have released that flight, you know. So I was going to say okay. that there were, I think I read a report that there were a few flights before the Ukrainian airline flight launched that delayed or canceled their flights. Um, so mm-hmm. they were aware that it probably wasn't a good idea to be flying that morning so sticking with you Jeff yeah you look like you're having a whale of a time up there so we'll uh, <laughs> move on to the next story I have a segue. what a great segue <laughs> <laughs> all right Airbus's second Beluga XL enters service Airbus's second Beluga XL has entered service with the European manufacturer today the aircraft's first flight in service saw it fly from Toulouse to Frankfurt the aircraft is based on the Airbus A330 and has a friendly face, Aww. just like its namesake. Yeah, it's cute, so isn't cute. it? Yeah. Much like Boeing's oversized Dreamlifter, the Beluga is designed for transporting oversized cargo. The XL is an expansion of the original Airbus Beluga and has 35% more storage space. As such, it can transport two wings for Airbus A350 aircraft. Rather than replacing the existing Beluga fleet, the Beluga XL will supplement it, at least for the time being, that is. Uh, What is the Beluga? Depending on your point of view, the Airbus Beluga is either a freak or a marvel of the aviation industry, much like the pilots that fly the Airbus. (laughs) The aircraft aircraft is based on the Airbus A330. However, it has a huge bubble on its head. 
This is much like the whale, which ha it has been thoughtfully named after. The original Beluga was based on the Airbus A330-600. Previously, the manufacturer used the Super Guppy to transport bulky items. Ironically, this was originally built by Boeing, meaning that Boeing aircraft were part of the Airbus supply change. Shall I continue, or is that enough? I think I'll continue then, not getting direction. Uh, as Airbus has grown, its fleet of Belugas is no longer sufficient for its needs. As a result, the manufacturer needed a fix. The XL model has a much bigger capacity than its predecessor. In fact, while the fuselage is almost 7 meters longer, it is now also 1.7 meters wider at 8.8 .8 meters. The Airbus's A380's fuselage is only 7.14 meters wide. Uh, the second Beluga rolled out of the manufacturing hangar in March of last year. The type received certification from Yasa in November 2019, and the test aircraft is now being refitted for service before starting operations itself. So I'm guessing none of the guys on the panel here have ever flown on the Beluga. <laughs> no, but I really want to, however. Yeah. Right. That would be awesome. I, I gather the cabin is unpressurized, um, yeah. I believe. Oh. So that, that makes it quite interesting. Uh, journey. I don't know if they fly at particularly high level, and it's also probably got quite restrictive weather conditions it can mm. fly in, which means flying it would be quite nice because you would be relatively low on, on a nice day. So you get a good look out at the countryside, and you wouldn't have to deal with any lousy weather. Mm. There you go. You convinced me. <laughs> Pip. Up to the top table with you for the next story and for those of you who watch the show you might know we obviously talk about the 380 and the fact that a lot of airlines are starting to bin off the 380 in fact the MSN 003 uh, ex-Singapore Airlines there's pictures online of that being cut up and um, for well dismantled for parts so Pip next story with you about high fly yes sir so this is another story from simpleflying.com the headline is, HiFly gets 30 requests for its Airbus A380 every day. Simple Flying recently caught up with CEO and chairman of HiFly, Dr. Paolo Mipuri, to find out what the airline thinks of its A380. The specialist wet-leased airline regularly comes under fire for investing in an unpopular plane, but the truth is actually quite far from this perception. Da-da-da-da. Yes. Dramatic. HiFly gets a lot of stick for having an A380 ready to wet lease. The company acquired the 10-year-old aircraft in 2018 after Singapore Airlines decided against renewing the lease. Having given it a grand new look, HiFly has been offering it out for hire ever since. Plenty of onlookers, analysts and armchair critics openly condemn the airline for investing in the giant jumbo. With many airlines phasing out the A380, most can't believe that there is even a market for such a large plane, particularly on an ad hoc basis. However, in a recent interview with Simple Flying, HiFly's CEO, Dr. Paolo Mirapuri, told us that the demand for the A380 actually far outstrips supply, with the airline receiving around 30 requests a day for the plane. So why don't we see it in the skies more often? Dr. Mupuri describes the A380 as remarkable and sings its praises in terms of reliability and sophistication of the technology on board. Indeed, he's clearly a massive fan of the type, uh, having bequeathed three letters of his surname to the registration of the aircraft, which is Niner Hotel Mike India Papa. 
but why is demand so low for the type? Dr. Mipuri told us that actually it's not. He said, in terms of demand, we receive on a daily basis around 30 requests for the aircraft. He went on to explain why we don't see the aircraft busy at work more often, saying uh, we face one problem, which is the accessibility of the aircraft to a number of airports. So unfortunately, we have to reject the majority of requests, and we have to send alternative aircraft, even if the client initially wants the A380, and that is because the airport or city selected is not compatible with A380 operations. Taking a look at the flight data for this aircraft, uh, it's certainly not in demand right now. Apart from a trip to Jeddah and back this week, the aircraft has not worked at all since October. But this is the quiet season, so likely the airline would expect to have low demand for the aircraft. Prior to 7th of October, however, the aircraft has been in almost constant use right through since late May last year. And it sounds like there would have been many more jobs for it too if only the infrastructure was in place. The unleasing plane, the unleasable plane, is proving its worth. This goes on. Do you want me to carry on, Carlos? No, I was just going to ask, Pip, have you flown the uh, 380, Pip? No, I have not. No? No. I know you guys have been on this exact aircraft at hmm. uh, Farnborough, haven't was, you? Uh, Farnborough, wasn't it, a few years yeah, back? Uh, yeah. Nev, yeah. That, that aircraft? You've been yep, oh, wow. that actual one. Oh, wow. mm. Yeah, that's ex-Singapore Airlines, the, the uh, high-fly one. I, no reason to doubt his claim of 30 requests a day, but um, the, the a way that... A request could just be an email. Like. Exactly. Well, yeah. the, the way that the brokerages work, they just kind of just bombard, they send out like emails, kind of spam them almost, saying, you know, we've got a need for, for an aircraft for two passengers, and they'll just send it to everyone, you know. So whether he counts that as a request for an A380, possibly... I think everyone in, in the room should take out their phone and send an email to info at highfly.com and request an A3. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a bit sad. I'm really sad to see the 380 go, actually. I think, and I think it's a mistake. Uh, over time, we'll see, uh, especially here at Heathrow, we have congested airports, the 380. It's very hard to make it work economically. I think only Emirates was able to make it work. But uh, if you make it work, it actually works super well. And for congested airports, the, I mean, the 777X, whenever it arrives, will probably help, but it's still not as big as uh, the 380. Uh, talking about leasing the 380, have you, I don't, uh, probably you guys talked about it in a previous show that I haven't heard, I'm really sorry, but the uh, Malaysian was used, uh, leased a 380 for the rescue operation of Thomas Cook. So the 380 is actually, the high fly one I think was in a previous, was it Monarch? Uh, I think they used that for a rescue, I mean, to repatriate people that are being left stranded after uh, these uh, huge demises of uh, airlines. And that iFly was, uh, I think, used by Norwegian when uh, Norwegian had to put some of the Dreamliners off their fleet to make the Rolls-Royce repairs as well. So I, I don't know. It doesn't seem to be a, uh, an aircraft that is uh, used for many other reasons, sadly, these type of uh, wet leases. Whilst I've not flown on the A380, once or twice when I've been with BA, I think, mostly, and they've not, for whatever reason, the aircraft has gone tech and they've had to call in one of these wet lease providers, um, a few times a 747 has shown up, which is actually quite good because, you know, by the time the aircraft's in place, you've maybe got three plane loads of people yeah. who need transporting. So a big plane like that is actually quite useful. Nick, you used to fly the 340. Obviously, four-engine aircraft. Why do you think the 380s failed? Or Economics, purely. Yeah. Um, it, it, the cost of uh, per seat mile uh, of a 380 
um, even if you manage to get it fairly full, the profit margin is not as great as a, a big twin. And that's purely uh, the maintenance cost on those extra two engines and the fuel burn. So it was an airplane that could have done very well uh, had we not be, been um, suffering the consequences of the higher oil costs. So, you know, it, it was just bought in too late. 747 was there to corner the market for the uh, massive aircraft carrying big loads of passengers. Airbus thought about it. It took them so long yeah. to bring the aircraft in. And then, of course, there were the delays because they made a major design uh, error uh, in building it, and they couldn't get the two parts of the fuselage to meet properly. Um, and that delayed it. So, you know, all that coincided with yet another rise in fuel costs and just as airliners airlines were trying to scale down the cost of operating now they presented with these vast airplanes which of course they can make a profit but it's not nearly as good as you get off uh, a big twin and and i think they were also very unlucky with the timing just to add to what you just said is that because of the, the delay of Airbus delivering that aircraft it arrived in 2008 which was a financial crisis so that's the worst possible time for investing such Two years earlier, because it was a very high time for, for flying, m some airlines might have bet more money at the start. But it was doomed from the start, like BA bought. How many does BA have? Like 10? 12? Right? Yeah. yeah, but I think the original order was for, for many more. Exactly. But it right? only yeah. accepted 12 in the end. Yeah. I mean, uh, Virgin Mild Outfit, we uh, had an order uh, in for several, and we never, ever uh, were going to fulfill that order because uh, we could see it was going to be a dead end for us. It was just too, too expensive to operate. And to be fair, even those airlines that have committed themselves to it do complain at the cost of maintenance as well. So, you know, it, it has had other problems, not just the fact that it's a big four-engine airplane. Sorry to grab the microphone again, but again, to add to your point, there was a fascinating interview uh, by uh, Tim Clark, so the, the chairman of Emirates, and he says, to your point, he says that only now, in 2019 actually, so that was last year, he's happy where the 380 was. All the things that you mentioned were ironed out over like a, more than a decade. And now he's happy and now he, this is why he's actually very unhappy that the, the plane is being shut down because it's, right now is where it should have been from the start and that's where Airbus is killing the project. The thing is, it's actually a very popular aircraft for passengers. Yeah. Uh, I, mm -hmm. I've flown uh, several legs, long legs, in the back of a, a 380 from Dubai down to Perth uh, in Australia. And uh, sitting down the back of economy, it is really quite spacious. It is beautifully quiet. It's very smooth. Uh, and it's a delightful aircraft uh, for passenger experience. You may not be enamored with the look of it from the outside, but when you're inside, it's quite palatial. Uh, and from that point, it's great. And I know the, the, the pilots love it. Yeah, the technology on the flight deck, the way the aircraft handles. I just have to chat to Stefan, uh, who's uh, you know, one of our great friends on the APG show, who's the captain of the 380. And uh, it really has got some fantastic technology in the front end uh, and is a lovely airplane to fly. So Armando. I'm going to pass the last story over to you. Uh, this one's about one of the greatest airlines in the U.S. I don't know if we have the same story then. So recently, <laughs> Delta, Air uh, Delta Airlines announced that it will be introducing new additions to its in-flight entertainment system, 
Uh, passengers of the airline will be able to enjoy features such as a binge button on their IFE. This button will enable passengers to sit back and enjoy the ride while watching their favorite programs without interruption. Furthermore, the airline is piloting a recommended for you <laughs> feature that will suggest curated content based on what the passenger has already watched. So additionally, Delta will experiment with tools such as a do not disturb or a wake me up for meal service uh, signal for its passengers in the main cabin on certain long haul operations. These initiatives have been developed on the back of the work that its branch uh, Delta Flight Products has conducted. The startup was founded in 2016, which is 10 employees, but it has gone on to hold three members, uh, three members, 300 members. Uh, they've been working on developing innovative products such as the carrier's new wireless IFE system already in service on the A220, A330 900s, and modified 767 400s. Now the airline wants to advance on this system by introducing new features this year. There has been speculation that several airlines could pay much less attention to in-flight entertainment screens by the time this decade is over. This is because firms will continue to focus on providing content to passengers' mobile devices with greater wireless con uh, connectivity continuing to emerge. However, Tim Mapes, the Chief of Marketing and Communications for Delta, has shared his airline and its passengers will still value uh, what they have on offer. Our, our research tells us that customers really enjoy and appreciate entertainment. It is their ultimate de-stressor in flight. That's why we keep extending our position as the entertainment airline and continue growing <laughs> our in-house expertise through Delta flight products, allowing us to explore a future where captivating content becomes part of the entire customer journey, not just the air. Uh, we've talked a little bit about different technologies coming out on this show with uh, different screens, uh, different high definition screens and, uh, and Wi-Fi services on different aircraft. I, I know now that I'm flying more and more, I'm keeping a, uh, a naughty list and a nice list of who has the best in-flight Wi-Fi and entertainment. And uh, yeah, so we'll see. Uh, we'll see well, what I mean, Delta I mean, comes up with. I mean, surely this is the, the future, though, is it not? Because, I mean, you, you think I mean, the, 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 the passengers are carrying the tablets anyway. Um, you know, surely it's much more cost effective in the long run to just put like USB chargers in every seat so that they can keep their tablet topped up and keep it functioning. I mean, um, you, you take that away. I mean, I suppose you've still got the weight of the servers and things obviously doling out the content in mm. air, but that's got to be lighter than, you know, headrest monitors and, and all that kind of thing. I mean, it's, surely oh, yeah. it's the future. Steph, you flew here obviously last night. What was your entertainment like? Hmm. Um, so the aircraft that I flew over on um, has not had an update or refurbishment <laughs> clearly to their, um, it was business class, but it was, it was an older uh, model. So yeah, it was, it wasn't what, anything. What was the airline? What was the airline? It was American. Oh, okay. But I've flown with them plenty of times where I've, you know, their, their newer um, uh, outfitted aircraft are much higher tech. TFT so, display. How, but, how about for, for Captain Jeff on the panel, what is it like? flying for an airline that directly competes with apparently the world's entertainment airline <laughs> it's very annoying especially, <laughs> especially in the airplane that i fly that uh, has no entertainment system at all 
You are the entertainment system. Yes, yes. You, you are the, my PAs are the entertainment system. Your mustache system. is the entertainment system. <laughs> hey, I will say one thing real quick that um, the do not disturb and the wake me for meal service um, signals, however, they, an airline chooses to do that. I've only ever flown with one airline that actually did that, and that was Turkish Airlines. Highly underrated, I think, because especially if you're on a long flight, if you do want to catch a nap, but then you also want your breakfast when that service comes around, it's nice to have a way to say, hey, it's okay, you can tap me on the shoulder and get me up. I'd like to eat. So, so does the uh, do not disturb apply to the PAs coming from the cockpit? No. Yeah, Sadly, no. I'd be very, you can't very tune upset out with those that. annoying pilots telling you that we're thirty minutes from touchdown and the weather is I mean, I mean, whatever. I mean, surely the PAs that are coming in from from the cockpit though are obviously very important. I mean, every, you know, every single word must be hung upon immediately. At least they are when I'm doing. Well, of course. <laughs> but what I what I don't like, and I don't know why, Acme allows this to keep happening, but uh, the the ads for like the American Express card. Oh that's just Those are that worst. annoys me, and I'm not even a customer, a target customer for that. <laughs> this is this well, is what this is why uh, Matt, you were saying it's is it the future? I'm like, first of all, I've I've spoken to a lot of of staff who tell me if you only have a Wi-Fi delivery system of of entertainment, they are becoming tech support because you have half of the people and they're like, uh, I cannot make this work. I don't have the right tablet. I forgot to download the, the app I was supposed to download on the ground before to try it. So sometimes it's, and for me, that's to your point, Jeff, is like, they stream you ads. So I'd rather just have my iPad with my own stuff that is not linked with whatever airline I'm currently flying from so I'd rather, rather maybe basically have nothing well I, I think then there's, there's obviously a, a gap in the market there for me in flight tech support I think that's the uh, <laughs> I think that could be a job I could me and Nev could nail I think really yeah you better copyright that now yeah quick yeah somebody write mm. it down <laughs> so that's the last news story but we have obviously we had uh, a message sent in from Captain Al earlier on in the show since we've been live uh, Captain Al has sent us a video in. Now, Matt's not had a chance to look at this video. I haven't looked at this yet. So <laughs> and I, I, I pressed this play <laughs> button here with great, great fear in my so heart. So we'll hand the show over to Captain Al. Let, I, I mean, it's 45 seconds long. What harm oh, right, can he do in right. 45 seconds? Oh, 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 Matt, you're so sweet to think that. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Good luck, everyone. Here we go. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you happen to be. It's Captain Al here. Unfortunately, some of us have to commit aviation today and can't make the show. As you can see, I've got an engine right behind me. You don't have to be an aviation geek to know that. So I'm sorry I can't make it, but some of us have to commit flying today to keep Greta happy. That behind me is the uh, nose wheel of an A321. It's still attached to the aircraft and not through the forward galley floor. And it's a pretty robust mechanism, so if you've seen some of the pictures on the internet recently, that takes some doing. But you'd have to ask Captain Nick, because he's the expert in those sort of landings. Anyway, have a great show, and I'll see you again soon. Bye! Nick? That's him off my Christmas list. <laughs> well, I think we got away with that quite lightly, I'll be honest. <laughs> Okay. Any story to go along with that, Nick, or is that? 
Uh, now, I, I've seen the, uh, the incident that he refers to, and uh, actually when you manage to push the bulkhead that the nose wheel uh, gear is attached to up through the floor by about 18 inches, such that it's protruding into the cabin, takes wow. some doing. So I've no idea how uh, that particular A320 pilot managed to mishandle the aircraft so badly. But uh, needless to say, when you're flying the longest uh, airline in the world, as I did uh, when I was doing that, you do that a lot more generally. You're a safe pilot, I know, Nick. <laughs> so for those of you who've been watching the show recently, you know that um, a, f was it, a few months back now, uh, Nev, that you went off with uh, Captain Nick, and you went and had a, a chat with uh, John Hutchinson, didn't you? And I, I have to say, Nick, obviously we've played the first episode out of that on the show and uh, yeah, I'll take it, most of you have seen the uh, interview with John Hutchinson, yeah, it's, it's been fantastic, really enjoyed it. And uh, what, just quickly before we play out the, the second part, uh, Nick, um, how, how was the day? Uh, it was a lovely day, he's such a fine gentleman. Uh, it was an absolute pleasure to uh, sit beside him and chat to him. It was like two old Air Force buddies uh, and airline pilots getting together and just talking shop for a while. It was an absolute delight. He's a super guy. He's got a beautiful house, uh, as you'd expect. Um, but, um, yeah, it was a really nice, relaxed day, and I thoroughly in, uh, enjoyed the interview. I only wish I'd got the memo about the socks, otherwise I... <laughs> I, I have to say that was one of the biggest comments that we had <laughs> yes. feedback about the the whole interview was was the yeah. the coordination between yeah, you the and John. Socks, the socks. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Very sexy angles. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so without further ado, we're going to play part two right now. Later on in your career, you would become a flying instructor. Um, would your experiences as a student have affected you and in the way you taught uh, the people to fly that you came across? Yes, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Made you perhaps a more understanding and sympathetic yeah. instructor? Yes. I mean, I have one great regret. Um, I had a wonderful student who'd come up through the ranks and he was passionately keen on flying and he wasn't a natural pilot. And I was determined to get him through, absolutely determined. And I did get him through. And he ended up on C-130s and very sadly ended up crashing in a C-130. I can't remember from Lynham maybe, or was it Bryce Norton? I can't remember. Could well have been Lynham, or it could have been either actually. Yeah, it yeah, could have been either, I just can't remember. But I've always sort of felt perhaps I shouldn't have tried so hard to get him, get him through. Perhaps he really wasn't a natural pilot. I don't know. Yeah, that was the only thing I ever think back as a, an instructor, when you had someone eventually who you had to give the bad news to, that they weren't going to progress, was that perhaps in the future you were saving their life. But, yeah. I know well, I, I, got, I, I got really emotionally involved with this guy, mm. and it became a sort of absolute overriding challenge for me. I was determined to, because he was so enthusiastic mm. and so keen. And I do often think, man, Maybe I didn't do him any favours. I hope not. I hope that wasn't the case. No, I hope not too. 
I see you moved on to jet training on the T-33 Silver Star at Gimli. Now that airfield would of course become famous for another reason. It did, didn't it? <laughs> but what was it like then? That was, that was a complete contrast to Moostraw. And we were there in the summer and there's a beach on the lake there and there were all sorts of pretty girls there in bikinis. So when we weren't flying, we were down on the beach. It was a very, very different different setup altogether. And the T-33 was a lovely aeroplane. Very benign handling and very strong, robust aeroplane and just a delight to fly. Was it I quick? It. Was it fast? I think sort of back point eight, that sort of speed, yeah. Very nice. But it was a very nice aeroplane. Now I read that you lost a fellow student during training. The same happened to me. How did it affect you? Yeah, that was a, this was a NATO training scheme that I was there under the auspices of. So we had all these different people from different NATO countries on my course. And this was a Turkish chap, Erz uh, Ermin, I think his name was. Very elegant, very well-educated, very classy man. Um, and uh, a very good pilot as well. And um, I don't know what happened, but he speared in from 40,000 feet straight into Lake Winnipeg. Good Lord. Um, I can only assume he was unconscious from what, for some reason or another. Uh, we'll, we'll never know. His body was recovered and it was a fairly shocking experience going to, going to his funeral. Did the students, uh, I mean, was there any effort made by the staff to ease the students through this or was it all very much as I would have expected it to be in those times, all sort of get on with, it's all business, get on with it? It's all, this is what happens, just get on with it. Interesting. I've never, never had this experience of being cancelled. <laughs> <laughs> I'm afraid. No, no. Um, I, I, you know, I firmly believe that, you know, things happen to you, stuff happens. You've got to deal with it and just get on with life. And the, the worst example of that for me was our eldest son dying, which is catastrophic. And you don't ever get over that. Never. You'd learn to live with it. Um, but there's no, you know, it's, 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 it's no good going on and on and on about it. You know, it's, it's happened. It, nothing's going to change that. And it's no memorial to him if you sort of collapse in a heap. You've just got to get on. I understand. My understand. sadness in that is that we didn't appreciate the impact it had on his younger brother. We were so obsessed with our own grief, Sue and I, um, that we rather sidelined him. And it was only years later that it suddenly all came pouring out from him. It's very difficult, isn't it? Yes, it is. It's not like anyone prepares you for this. Nobody prepares you for a thing like that, no, oh. no. And I never had any, neither of us ever had any counselling about that terrible experience either. 
But it seems like your family is, is a happy family. Oh, yeah. We're very, I mean, we've only got the one son. We're extremely close to him. We've got three wonderful grandchildren, one of whom is at Cambridge University. Oh. And doing, I think, she'll be quite an exceptional lady. She's a very good actress, but she's the sort of person who's very motivated. Um, I think her problem is going to be deciding what she's going to do with oh, her life. What a problem to have. <laughs> what a problem to have, yeah. Let's move on to uh, your time flying the Venom. I was uh, um, somewhat alarmed to read that you lost your canopy. Uh, that's a pretty serious situation. Could you talk us through that? It wasn't a Venom. It was a it vampire. A vampire, okay. Vampire T11. Who wrote these, who wrote these questions? Sorry. Do carry on. <laughs> <laughs> Never flown a venom. Okay. Um, actually, you know, that's an interesting question because I can't remember if it was a T11 that I was flying. I, no, I think it would have been a Vampire 5. It would be a Vampire 5 or a 9. Um, and I'm just flying along and suddenly there was this loud bang. And I was... <laughs> sitting out there in the open, <laughs> much to my surprise. I mean, the airplane still flew all right. So I descended, came back and landed. This was, I was based at RAF Worksop, which of course doesn't even, I've met somebody from Worksop not so long ago, and he didn't even know there had been an RAF airfield. Oh, it's probably Worksop. a pig farm. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure it is, I'm sure it is. But, so I had to assure him that I was actually posted <laughs> Two RAF works off in 1957, I promise you. There really was an RAF airfield there. Um, anyway, I went back and landed. And in fact, the canopy had come off. I don't know where on earth it landed. I have no idea. But, the, it, you, you know, with the um, uh, vampire, it was sort of twin booms with a sort of tailplane that, that went between the two booms. The canopy had hit the the bit between the two booms Ooh. and left a massive great I mean almost severed it completely. Wow, which, you're lucky it didn't which might have been interesting. Oh it would have been happened. very interesting, <laughs> no doubt. Oh I'm glad you didn't come home and do a barrel roll in there. No, no, was no. it a bit noisy? It was quite noisy, yes. Could you actually hear anyone on the radio? I think I must have done. <laughs> Good for you. Excellent. Excellent. Now, obviously, you did well in your training and were recommended for fighters. Indeed, the marvellous Hawker Hunter. What happened? You were posted to heavies in the end. Yeah, that was the that was a crushing moment in my life. I can tell you, it's all I wanted to do was fly hunters. Um, Duncan Sands, the Minister of Aviation or Minister for Air or whatever his title was, I don't know, Secretary of State. For Ferrer made this great pronouncement that they weren't going to require fighter pilots any longer. It was all going to be done with surface-to-air missiles. And not one of our course went on to fighters. Oh, really? Oh, wow. I was one of the lucky four who went to Coastal Command. And oh. I say lucky four because in Coastal Command you were fully trained and it was sort of sector by sector, just like in the airline world. You know, the captain would do one sector, then the co-pilot the next. You, you were a fully trained pilot. 
in Transport Command in those days, my understanding was from the chaps who went into Transport Command that basically to start with, they were there for no other purpose than to lower undercarriages, raise the flaps and do the communications. Oh. Um, I mean, that's all long since changed, but oh. the culture in Coastal Command, even back then, was that the co-pilot had to be fully trained and, you know, had to do half the flying sort of thing. Oh. And I was on the Mark I Shackleton, so that was a tail dragger, direct descendant of the Lancaster, and looking back on it now, I'm very proud of the fact that I've in effect flown the Lancaster hmm. um, and it was a it was a fantastic aeroplane the Shackleton I mean it's I don't know how long it was in service for from start to finish but it must oh, be a little too long I think it must have been something <laughs> like 45 or yes. 45 years well it was still going when I was in the Air I Force mean, it, for it, many years yeah absolutely and the great thing was about this that I was actually posted out to Singapore to 205 Squadron, based at RAF Changi, and we look at Changi now and it's a bit different, um, but in those days it was a rather splendid RAF airfield, and they had uh, a Far East Communications Squadron, Far East Air Force Communications Squadron, and they had Pembrokes, Meteors, and Vampires. And I went down to that Far East Com Squadron and said, hey, any chance of getting some flying when I wasn't flying Shackleton's? They said, absolutely. That Com Squadron was there for all the chaps in headquarters and the Far East Air Force headquarters for them to keep their hands in. Nobody seemed to want to do that. So they were very happy for me to come along and do some flying. So I used to go flying vampires and meteors and Pembrokes to my heart's content. Who did your conversion? One of the chaps in the comm squadron. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> I mean, it's just a different world, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Very hard to imagine 1958, now. this was. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. I used to go bombing around over the Malayan jungle, low level. <laughs> just flying for the sheer fun of it. Um, the CNC of the Far East Air Force was the most wondrous gentleman. Air Chief Marshal the Earl of Bandon, who was known as the Abandoned Earl. <laughs> and he was a legend in his lifetime. He was an extraordinary man. He was one of those men. He didn't need to be in the Air Force for, for a career. He was in the Air Force because he loved the Air Force. And he wasn't f frightened about what he said or did. Um, he, he was the sort of man you'd have followed over the trenches in the Battle of the Somme, led, leading from the front. Excellent. Wonderful, wonderful chap. Excellent. I had a very happy time in Singapore, as you can probably probably gather. I think we I, both would have done hell of a chance to go there. I had a Sound ball. Marvelous. I had a ball there. Um, sadly, I ended up getting some sort of tropical gut rot and had to be Casavac back in a comet back to Lynham. And I was grounded for about three months. And I was based at Northwood during those three months. And the medical problem sorted itself out, and it's never recurred since. So 
so I don't know exactly what it was. But I've then ended up going to Little Rissington in the summer of 1960 and did the flying instructors course there. And that was, that without doubt was the best course in terms of learning about your approach to flying that I've ever done in my life. It was a fantastic course and it was a lovely summer and Little Rissington is a lovely place to be in the heart of Gloucestershire and I made some very good friends during that course who remain friends to this day and during the course by the way they said anybody who has never flown a hunter can have an opportunity to fly a hunter if they'd like. So I said, yes, please. <laughs> and I went down to Kemble and they only had, um, I think it was a Hunter 6, single seater. They just gave me a thorough briefing, strapped a checklist onto my knee, put me in the cockpit, made sure everything was all set up properly, closed the lid and there I was on my own. And I think my emotions ranged from sheer terror to exhilaration in, was, equal, in equal measures. It was quite a rocket ship, wasn't it? And I just, I did three flights in that Hunter. Oh, wow. And that's when I first went supersonic in a sort of power dive over the Bristol Channel. And I got to 1.01 or something. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, got a certificate to prove it. And it just, I mean, it was obviously an aeroplane I would have loved to have flown. There's no question about that. Classy aeroplane. Absolutely sweet, yes. Mm. Absolutely. I think it's safe to say that uh, oh, it's, uh, that was a really good uh, start or second part. To the, there's obviously more. How many more parts is there to come down there? We've got oh, about another seven, I think. Seven parts, I see, yeah. <laughs> But I think we should give, <laughs> while, whilst everyone's here, we should, I think we should just give a quick round of applause to Nick and Nev. <laughs> Excellent job. Well, as you can tell, I, I really didn't do, have to do much at all, really. Uh, once you kicked John off, he just told the most wonderful stories. So thank you very much, but it's not deserved. So moving on with the next part of the show. So that's move on to the Christmas competition. Ah, did I win? Of course um, I won. Yeah, for those of you who watch the show, you'll know that uh, Nick sent his answers in via uh, audio. Um, you were not, you weren't, you weren't far off, I suppose, on some of the answers, Nick. 100%, what are you talking about? Oh, is that the, is that the APG <laughs> statistics? So that APG I mean, it was better than 50%. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> if it's 50, that's 100. Yeah, 50% equals 100%. So yeah, we had the uh, we had the Christmas competition answers in. Now we're going to put the answers into Captain Nick's hat, and I think there we go. That's everyone's names in there. So the one of the first well, the first question we asked was, what year did Concorde, uh, Foxtrot, Bravo, Tango, Sierra, Delta get a Pepsi branded logo on? So Concorde did actually have a Pepsi branded logo on the aircraft, which I think it, it stopped it flying at. Um, yeah, apparently the majority of it had to be white to keep the temperature uh, down. And when they put the Pepsi on, a lot of it was blue, and so they couldn't really take it to high speed. So that was 1996. 
That was. Uh, next one was what type of aircraft was the Gimli glider? Someone's just lost a chance to win. Captain Jeff, what was that one? The answer? I think it's 767. That was correct, yeah, very much uh, very much so. Uh, the third question on the list was, uh, in the film Die Hard 2, which I'm sure most people have seen, uh, what type of aircraft was Windsor Flight 114 based on? Here's your big moment. I think it was DC-8. Well Carlos. done, Jonathan. Mr. Warner, well done. <laughs> okay, let's see if you can get this next one, uh, Mr. Warner. So the... Uh, where in the world is the longest publicly used paved runway? Seething. <laughs> <laughs> and before anyone says, no, it's not Norwich. Anyone? <laughs> Norwich. Um, Come on, I'm up uh, now. Uh, Edwards? Oh, hang on to the back. Edwards or the smoke shuttle? Leadville? Who? Leadville? Anyone else? No, it was Quamda. I'm going to try and get this right. I could never do that. We should give these to Matt, really. Uh, the answer was... <laughs> Kwamdo Bamda Airport in China, 18,045 feet or 5,500 metres. Why? <laughs> so even Pip could land there. <laughs> <laughs> we could just get in. Just. Yeah. You can land a, a Cessna 172 there, I don't even know how many times. Quite a lot. On the uh, next one, where. <laughs> oh, I was going to bring the seething landings up for the. For the, for the, um, for the yeah, if you see those. But the flying, yeah, uh. yeah. We're not going to go down that route. You're in trouble now, buddy. Next, <laughs> <laughs> next one on the list was where in the world is the highest altitude airport? Now this one I definitely should give to Matt. Daocheng Yading Airport in China, which sits at fourteen thousand four hundred and seventy-two feet above sea level. So there we go. Next one. Um, this one was uh, quite a few people missed this, but this is the major variant of the 737. So this is not including the the kind of Poseidons and all the other kind of weird and wonderful variations of the um, the 737. But the main variant of the 737 was 13 of those, if you look in total. So you got the 737 100, 200, 300, 400, 500, 600, 700, 800, 900, the Max 7, Max 8, Max 9, and Max 10 to the newest one. So that's 13. Um, Here's a good one uh, for the audience. What year did the first Airbus A380 enter service with launch customer Singapore Airlines? Anyone? 2007. Did you look at the answers there? No. Are you lying? No. It says 2008. Anyone else? 2007. 2007. Point One of you is going to get it if you just keep saying numbers. <laughs> <laughs> 1843. <laughs> Adam knows the answer. Adam knows. 2007. There you have it. Yeah. 2007, correct. That's yeah, yeah. right. So, uh, number eight, we'll ask this one to Nev. Um, the BA, obviously, what was the flight number of BA's last Concorde flight on the 24th of October 2003? Ooh. Um, and if you get this wrong, Nev, you're never going to live it down. No. It's one of those 90. One or 93 series, isn't it? I would imagine something like that. The flight number? BO's yes. last? Yeah. Um, mm. I don't actually know. So. <gasps> <gasps> no. I would have had a 50% no. chance of getting this That's right. Okay. Don't 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 I only know two that in yeah. Anyone in the audience? Sweet battle. Well done. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay, next one. What uh, date? Now, this one threw a lot of people off. 
what date was the first live PTUK broadcast podcast broadcast on YouTube? And that's our official. That's possibly because YouTube. it's the most ambiguous question you've ever asked anyone. <laughs> so this this is the, the actual day that we broadcast live. So the actual day, but I, this has been looked up. It's the twenty first of August two thousand fifteen. Yeah, trust me, it's right, it's correct. Matt, well, no, he's no, contested no, this ever so. No, 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 the only reason I'm querying it is because we did do a test stream that was on my channel first. But that's not on the P2K official YouTube channel. Ah, oh, oh. <sighs> anyway, moving swiftly on. Okay. The last question we're going to put to Adam. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> because if Adam gets this wrong... Go ahead, take that sip Then first. a lot of people out there are going to be in trouble. Yeah. So, which runway at London Heathrow Airport is the longest yeah. runway? The northern. 3,902 metres. Th versus 3,658 on the other side. You've just got I've written here. Well done. Oh. Thanks, Adam. I mean, you'd hope that Adam would get that right. <laughs> Do you need to lie down now, Adam? <laughs> he didn't know I was going to ask him, to be fair. Um, And I landed on that one in an A340. You're, you're officially that old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it was very short. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I bet. I bet. Yeah, that too. <laughs> so prizes. So we, we did get some really, really good prizes this year. Um, for, so we're going to we go... We didn't bring the plate, did we? No, we didn't, I didn't bring the plate because I didn't want to risk... Oh, break. Risk okay, breaking please. the plate, so yeah. So you're going to leave that to Royal Mail instead? We'll leave <laughs> it. <laughs> well, Can you get insurance well. on it? <laughs> I, I was going to leave it to Hermes, but I, we really wanted to get to the winner before 20 oh, million years of time. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, moving on. So we're going to start from the far right. So we've got the first one on the list is the Bow Fighter book here so if we uh, we're going to pull out the uh, prize for that one out of the cap so dr Steph. Do you know what it'd be really handy if some of the people who've won are actually in the room that would be handy <laughs> let's see what i can do I, here i thought you were going to say in the hat you're right pull a whole person out of this yeah, hat yeah, yeah, yeah. whoa okay all right here for uh, first prize well, david uh Kavan. david Kavanagh. yeah did you uh, spell that right i did spell that okay right, yeah. david Kavanagh. <laughs> Look at that. Okay, so well done. All right, and while you're here, I'm going to put the put uh, name the into the book. So Thank you. And uh, next yeah. book on the list, DH9 Hold Restoration. Hold it in front of the um, wide shot one. Yeah. All right. Ooh, this is a smaller piece of paper than the last one. Presumably Budget a cuts. smaller name. Smaller name. <laughs> Jan Hubner. Jan Hubner. Oh. Jan Hubner. There we are. All right. <laughs> I'm going to give it to you, Carlos. You can present it. Oh, okay, okay. Here, Bob. Yeah. Just got to hope he's got room in his hand luggage now to get that. <laughs> so next what book, Pip, I can't... There we go. Let's see. It's the Stuka, Stuka attack. attack book. Stuka Attack. Okay. I feel like these have been folded together such that I almost pull out like four pieces of paper at a time. Okay. And this one goes to Mark Alexander. Woo! <laughs> Mark Alexander. Sorry, sorry. All right, Mark. That's it. Put that there. That's ready for raw mail. Yes. Well done. Do you know this is this is why we're so glad Steph is here. She's so very organised. I know. <laughs> I have nothing to do with the organisation. Next book. <laughs> Pip, what's the next one? 
This uh, War Amongst the Clouds by Air Vice Marshal Hugh Granville-White. All right, and this one goes to Ray Davis. Ah, Ray oh. Davis. Oh, you're going to have to done, Ray. pay for some shipping there. You have to pay for some shipping there. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, that's got to go to Australia, so we'll saw yeah, that in half. Yeah, it'll get there like <laughs> two years from now. That's fine. Yeah. fine. Don't worry, Ray, you'll get that um, for Christmas. Yeah, just in time for Christmas 22. Yeah. So the next two prizes we haven't got here, but the uh, they are because uh, they're in frames. I didn't want to destroy them on the way here. So we've got two one? 3D. You probably saw if you watch the show. We've got two 3D uh, pictures. Uh, one's the Red Arrows and one's a Spitfire. It's just really that's one of the old school 3D pictures, the color pictures that you that are quite popular many years ago. So the first one is the uh, Red Arrows one. So if you want to pick a name from the hat. And the prize will go to Graham Haley. Oh, oh great. Yeah, he's actually here. He just turned up. He's just, he just turned up. He's actually here. Yeah, he's Yay. there. Stand up, Graham. <laughs> Typical, I didn't. There you go. Well done, Graham. Just ping me your address later, Graham. I'll send them out. Don't worry. So next one is the, uh, the Spitfire picture, which is also a 3D picture as well. Actually, in a frame. Graham, I'm actually here next weekend, so I'll bring them up. There you go. All right. And for the Spitfire picture, Mark Huffer. Mark Heffer, well done. We'll put those. Yeah, those right, so yeah. we, we must be at grand prize time now, is that yeah, correct? Yeah. It is. So the grand prize, uh, there's two parts to this. One part is the Concord Haynes Manual, which is signed by John Hutchinson with a little wow. note in there as well. Uh, in the fur, here we go, Pip can have a. It says, uh, Dear Captain Nick, get stuffed. <laughs> Worst interview ever. <laughs> <laughs> he says, I was never too much into engineering. I always relied on the wonderful team of engineers to keep her serviceable. I was just one of the privileged pilots who flew her. John Hutchinson. Very nice. Very nice. So the, with that prize, there's also a limited edition uh, Concorde last flight plate. Uh, which is, uh, for those of you watching, so you've probably seen it on there, we did have it in the studio, but it is back in the studio safe, and that goes with that book as well, and it is, like I said, a limited edition plate. There was only two, just over 2,000, I think, that was made of the plate, um, so that uh, will be part of this prize. So, for the top for the top winner... A one in three chance. Here we go. Oh, the marbles. Here we go. So one in three, there's only three yeah, in here? Yeah, yeah there are. Uh, lots of pressure here. All right. <laughs> like, I am feeling a lot of pressure personally. I don't know why. Uh, this one goes to Stephen Taylor. Ah. Yay! 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 Are you, st are you still there, Armando, or have you nodded off? <laughs> so, do you want to know who the, got the right answers but didn't get a, <laughs> a prize? Oh. Well, you might be nice because at least you know you got all the answers right. True. Yeah. Go on then. Masha. Oh. Oh, oh, poor Masha. Masha. And Stephen uh, Hitchin. Ah. So you did very well to do uh, answer all those correctly because some yeah. of them were trick questions. And I still think the Sea of Tranquility is the highest airfield. <laughs> I don't know how you guys can <laughs> top that. Indeed. So yes. are we going to do the plane tail next? We'll yeah. do the plane tail next then, Nick. So... Uh, a quick brief of what it's about? Do well, is it gonna this is something about 300, and there's not many subjects in aviation you can find about 300. So 
partly told before, but an, an expanded version. I've never done a plain tale live, and for those of you who've listened to my outtakes, you'll know why, <laughs> because it takes a considerable effort to get through the whole thing without fluffing. So, uh, so I'm I glad apologize. this is being recorded, so yeah. we can just keep those live That's outtakes. Right. Uh, so uh, whenever you're ready, Matt, um, we'll give it a go. There aren't many aircraft named 300. There's a Lemon 300, <laughs> the Bombardier Challenger 300, an Extra 300, and probably a few others. But the one I want to talk about today is an Airbus A300. The A300 was Airbus's very first aircraft, and it took to the air in 1972. It has the distinction of being the world's first twin-engine wide-body airliner, as well as the world's first ETOPS airliner. It was a very successful delight design that often goes unnoticed amongst the plethora of high-profile airliners out there. But there was one event that put it into the history books. Sadly. It's rarely remembered. Let me tell you about it. In 2003, a US-led coalition of forces invaded Iraq. The attack lasted just over a month, after which President George W. Bush declared mission accomplished. But for some, that declaration was a little premature, since the conflict was about to enter another phase. It would become a guerrilla war, which continued to fester well into the next decade. The Fatayeen Saddam was not part of Iraq's regular armed forces, but rather it operated as a paramilitary unit of irregulars. As a result of this, the Fatayeen reported directly to the presidential palace rather than through the military chain of command. Whereas the Iraqi army and the Republican Guard quickly collapsed, Fedayeen forces put up stiff resistance to the coalition invasion. They entrenched themselves in the cities and launched guerrilla-style attacks on supply convoys. The fall of Baghdad effectively ended their existence as an organized paramilitary, but they would continue well after. Some of its members died during the war, but a large number survived and were willing to carry on the fight even after the fall of Saddam Hussein from power. It's now November, some months after the invasion, and the French reporter Claudine Venier-Palliez, writing for the sensationalist Paris Match news magazine, has made contact with a Fedayeen unit near Baghdad and somehow earned their trust. The magazine claims that she's there to investigate why these rebels continue to fight against US forces in Iraq, but what she witnesses is something truly shocking. Three cars are at their disposal, she writes. They start off in a column. We don't know where they're taking us. They stop in a cloud of dust some kilometers further on and recover a ground-to-air missile, SAM-7, wrapped in white fabric and hidden in a thicket at the edge of a dirt track. We now know that the weapon was actually a Russian Strela III, known to NATO as an SA-14 Gremlin. 
It's an all aspect, man portable, shoulder fired air defence missile and a much improved version of the earlier SA-7 Grail. It has a nitrogen cooled lead sulphate infrared homing seeker head more sensitive and capable than its predecessor. About one and a half metres long, it can comfortably fit in a golf bag and would make an impressive driver. <laughs> when fired, it can accelerate to over 900 miles an hour. That's around Mach 1.7, climb to an altitude of over 7,500 feet, and is armed with a blast fragmentation warhead that weighs over a kilo. That's about 2.2 pounds. The missile has a proximity and contact fuse which detonates the warhead when it comes close to or strikes its target. When ignited, the warhead explodes, creating damage in two ways. The shockwave generated causes targets with large volume to explode from the internal pressure changes. Approximately 30% of the energy released by the explosive is used to break up the casing and impart kinetic energy to the fragments. The flying debris expands into a ball of shrapnel which can slice through the thin skin of an aircraft like the cuts of a thousand knives. At Baghdad Airport, an Airbus A300 registration OODLL was being operated by the Belgium company, European Air Transport, on behalf of DHL, and was beginning a scheduled flight to Bahrain. The aircraft was far from new. It began life with Malaysia Airlines in 1975 and was then taken on by Carnival in 95, part of the Cruise Lines company, before joining AAT as a cargo airliner. It was only carrying about seven tons of cargo, having delivered mail and other essentials to American troops based in Baghdad. There was only the crew on board, the two Belgian pilots, Captain Eric Genotti, and first officer Steve Mickelson, plus a British flight engineer, Mario Raphael, who hailed from Scotland. The captain was 38 and had a good amount of experience with over 3,000 hours, half on the A300. The crew prepared their aircraft and briefed the departure, which included a special takeoff procedure to reduce the time that they would be spending on the ground and during the initial climb when they would be exposed to any threats. They were going to take off without any flaps, only using the slats with maximum thrust, toga, and at the speed which would give them the best angle of climb, 215 knots. The Australian air traffic personnel working at Baghdad cleared the aircraft for takeoff, and soon it was approaching 8,000 feet on its way to 10,000 feet where it would be completely safe from attack. The French journalist continued her story. The head of the commandos tells us that one day prior he had spotted a DHL Airbus which was flying at low level. I've never, we never fire on the civil aircraft but at that time I did not know what DHL was doing. Afterwards, when a friend of mine explained that these aircraft transported GI's mail, I regretted a little my intentions. That would mean depriving the soldiers of the letters from their mothers and wives. But the next time I fire, the sun rises and 
draws red shades upon the men who have just begun to take up their weapons and prepare for the operation. A peasant passes, his shovel on his back. He understands what is underway and simply says, God blesses you and supports your action, before moving away quietly towards his field of tomatoes. Suddenly, the leader pricks up his ears and scans the sky. He leaps up and shouts, A plane! You there! At the ready! This time you'll have to fire! The nitrogen bottle in the launcher's body has cooled the infrared seeker head as the A300 climbs. Eventually it becomes operational and acquires the heat source, the General Electric CF6 engines. It's a simple uh, missile to operate. All the user has to do is visually acquire the target, activate the automatic target lock and launch the missile by pulling a trigger. The seeker head howls, the head of the commando screams, fire! The starting booster runs for about half a second and the missile leaps away from the launcher. Then the propellant charge takes over and it spirals upwards in a stabilizing spin as it rockets towards the A300. A second missile is fired and at 9.18 in the morning the first missile hits the target's left wing. The second missile misses, but regardless, the leader jumps for joy like a child and lifts up his hands to the sky. Allah o Akbar, Allah o Akbar. Passing 8,000 feet on the climb out, Captain Genotti was nearly safe. The missile had a theoretical maximum engagement altitude of 7,500 feet but belting upwards at nearly 1,500 feet a second, it's overtaken the aircraft. Passing the A300's left wingtip, the warhead explodes. The shrapnel from the fragmenting cover spreads out and slices through the outer portion of the wing's trailing edge, cutting into fuel tanks, pipes, and electrical connections. Precious fluid sprays through broken hydraulic lines at 3,000 psi and aviation fuel starts to gush and then the shockwave from the blast hits the aircraft. The aircraft shakes and almost immediately Mario, the engineer, spots the pressure in two of the hydraulic systems falling. He announces a double hydraulic system failure as the green, the primary system, and the yellow circuits empty their fluid through the ruptured lines. A double hydraulic system failure is about as serious as it gets, since it leaves the aircraft with only one system left. And should that fail, then none of the primary flight controls will operate. The aircraft would be as controllable as a falling leaf from a tree. Twenty seconds later, Captain Ginotti feels the flight controls stiffen as the third and final hydraulic system, the lifeblood of the Airbus, fails. As if that were not enough, aviation fuel from the hold fuel tank has ignited and now his aircraft is on fire with flames streaming from his shattered left wing. With no hydraulics, his ailerons, rudder, and elevators are floating unpad 
He's unable to move them. His trimmable horizontal stabilator and spoilers are frozen along with his flaps and slats which are retracted. The aircraft was like a piece of paper in the air, Mario the flight engineer explained. We went through a series of steep banks and dives. You couldn't leave your seat. The crew assessed their situation whilst being thrown against their harnesses. They had no flight controls. Part of the left wing was missing and more coming away as the fire took hold. And they are losing fuel at an alarming rate. About the only thing left working were the two engines. In the history of civil aviation, only two aircraft have been in a similar situation. The Sioux City DC-10 and a JAL 747. Both aircraft became uncontrollable after all their hydraulic systems failed. Despite a heroic effort by Captain Al Haynes and his crew, the DC-10 crashed at Sioux City Airport, killing 112. After a terrifying 44 minutes of uncontrolled flight, the JAL 747 impacted the side of a mountain, killing an appalling 520 passengers and crew. The odds for the Airbus crew were not good, but as Mario Raphael said, the rule books got out of the window. Situations like this are unique every time. You can't train for them. You can't write a checklist for them. During the learning process, their airspeed lurches wildly between 180 and 300 knots. The crew have since listened to the cockpit voice recorder tape and say they're quite surprised at how calm they all sound. Mario commented, all you can do is apply common sense and stay calm. We were the right combination of crew. The only controls left to the pilots was the natural stability of the aircraft and the engines. Being mounted in pods under the wings and below the center of gravity, an increase in thrust would cause the aircraft to pitch up a little. The opposite would occur should the power be reduced. However, this isn't as simple as it sounds. Although the crew could make general changes to the attitude of the aircraft without fine control, it would naturally oscillate up and down in a fugoid. Trying to turn the aircraft, they needed to use asymmetric power, increasing thrust on one engine and not on the other, which would cause the aircraft to yaw. This yawing action would increase lift on the advancing wing and decrease it on the retreating wing, which would then cause the aircraft to roll allowing them to crudely turn. Again, this wasn't as easy as it might appear since they were missing a portion of the left wing and with a massive fuel leak, the weight in that wing was reducing all the time, making the aircraft want to continually turn to the right. It takes some time to establish how to control their aircraft and then the crew tried to steer in a big loop back towards Baghdad airfield. All the while their wing was burning with 50 feet of flame streaming back from the fuel tank which might explode at any moment. It became obvious that they were unable to get their speed low enough to land and still keep control of the aircraft so Raphael uses the emergency system to lower the landing gear which despite being well above the maximum speed, works perfectly. 
The aircraft had been trimmed to 215 knots when the stabilator froze and with the speed back to that regime the aircraft became easier to control. But despite this, Captain Ginotti has trouble lining up for an approach and they turn away to reposition. Raphael is working hard to ensure that despite the leak, fuel is continuously fed to the left engine but not to the fire. Should he make a mistake and actually accidentally cut fuel to the engine, all would be lost. They get a decent distance from the runway and then have a second go from a long straight in approach. It's looking better, and despite 20 knots of turbulent wind from 290 degrees, giving them an uncomfortable crosswind, they're lined up to land on runway 33 left. Without flaps or slats, they're fast, around 210 knots, and Ginotti knows that at that speed, without spoilers to keep them down, a bounce on touchdown could be fatal. With just the thrust levers, they fly the aircraft down to the flare. They're coping with the fugoid, the asymmetry in weight, the crosswind. And about 400 feet, they meet the rough air that is common around hot airfields and the wing dips. The aircraft starts to veer off course. Having battled the crippled Airbus for 25 minutes, Ginotti needs one more effort. And he adds power and writes it again and they touch down as gently as a feather. But with no spoilers, brakes, rudder or steering, they can't keep the run on the runway and they slide off to the side. Engaging full thrust reverse, they plough across the sand and disappear into a huge cloud of dust kicked up by the reversers. In the cockpit, they're bouncing along the rough ground. Several tyres fail and one jolt reaches 7.5 G. Watchers assume the worst, but as the dust settles, they see that the aircraft is intact and has stopped a mere 3,300 feet after landing. An almost unbelievable story of a remarkable aircraft and crew. Captain Eric Ginotti, first officer Steve Mickelson, and flying engineer Mario Raphael were rightly honoured and given awards from around the globe. These included the Hugh Gordon Burge Memorial Award from the Guild of Air Pilots, given to flight crews whose outstanding behaviour and action contributed to the saving of their aircraft and only awarded for events of significant merit and the Flight Safety Foundation's Professionalism Award in Flight Safety, which was presented to the crew members for their extraordinary piloting skills in flying their aircraft. And what of their A300? Well, it was promptly repaired and put up for sale. Sadly, there were no takers, and it remains a Baghdad a sad memorial to a brilliant crew.
Yeah. I should. Quite hard work, though. That was great. Really. Uh, well done. Well done, Nick. That was fantastic. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah. So, Pip, shall we go out and find who's, uh, who's joined us for the 300th then? Well, just shove this in people's faces. Yeah, just, just, yeah. It demands to know why they're here. Demand, yeah. Jonathan, why are you here? Come on, explain yourself. They made me. They made you. <laughs> what do you think about this? Oh, rubbish, isn't it? What are we doing here, honestly? Well, it gives you something to do on a long drive, doesn't it? Sort of see how long you can stay awake. <laughs> <laughs> which, which podcast are you listening to for that? <laughs> Must be a three-hour-long show. <laughs> hey, dude. Hi, Stuart. Farnborough, not too far to travel, and um, possibly feel somewhat responsible for... Um, uh, yes, you should. <laughs> <laughs> where these get-togethers maybe originated back, was it four, no, six, four, six years ago? Thereabouts. 2016. 2016, mm. that's right. Yeah. Have you got a different camera angle, please, Matt? <laughs> <laughs> You're, you're saggy we need ass. a roving. We need a roving camera. Uh. Oh, they're running. <laughs> no. <laughs> Sorry, so 2016. Yeah, suggested via some feedback with the airline pilot guys, maybe coming over. Didn't think for one minute it would happen, but it did, and it's all. But it's been a few since then, and uh, here we all are again. Great to see everyone. Hi, I'm Richard from the Isle of Wight, and living that close, it would have been rude not to come. Really. How'd you get across? On the cat and then on the train. You came across on the ferry, didn't you? Is that brown, yeah. something brown and steaming that comes out of cows? <laughs> That's <laughs> something like that, yeah. <laughs> One of our prize winners? Uh, Jan from Berlin. Just flew in for the day and thanks very much. Uh, came across the show YDAPG. Thanks, Jeff, for it's almost 10 years since it started, right? Uh, early listener to your show and also early to uh, PGUK. Thanks very much. It's the best community you can have. Yeah, lovely. Yeah. 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 Mr. Ivy. <laughs> Hello, sir. Hey, how's it going? Good, yourself? Yeah, pretty good. You're quite the artist. On site, yeah? Yeah, I, yeah. I was impressed by that. I can do yeah, one for you I, later if you like. Uh, I, I think I'm good. I'll, I'll pass on that opportunity. Pip is doodle. You're That's an original uh, priceless work of art. That's an original that pip. Get it? <laughs> Frame it. Yeah, put that on the camera. <laughs> 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 Wait, let me see. <laughs> how's, um, how's the RG? It's good. It's good. Um, schedule this month wasn't that great, but uh, made it here anyway. Uh, looking up great about three to four months and seeing what the other side of the jet feels like on the left side. They say it's a little bit different, but you know, we'll, f we'll find that out the hard way, I guess. Uh -huh. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Let's move over to uh, the resident secret agent. <laughs> can, can we can you appear on camera? Do we need to black out his face? So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Buzz it out. Yeah. How's it going? It's going good. Congrats, guys. 300. It's a big milestone. So good luck on the next 300. Maybe around, what, 2035? Yeah, I guess so. Yes. Perfect. Yeah. By the way, Fred, can you explain what was going on when you arrived? Uh, you were taking photos of my car in a very suspicious manner. <laughs> <laughs> 
I was going to surprise everybody because they didn't know I was coming. I was going to take a picture with the car. Ah, and right. I stepped up to the car and I promptly got busted by Steven. And, and, um, <laughs> <laughs> so scratch that. You scratched his car? I did wow. not scratch <laughs> well, I'll, we'll have a chat about that later. <laughs> okay, I'm going to move over. Hey, Myla. Hi. How are you doing? I'm fine, thanks. Thanks for having me. Congratulations on the 300. It's nice to meet everyone, see everyone. So. Glad to be here. Excellent. How's, uh, how's the ATP treating you? It's so nice. <laughs> it's such a lovely airplane. Mm. You like it? That's good. I love it. What's the future uh, for you? You going to move to the left seat perhaps or move mm, somewhere else? No, no, not the left seat, but hopefully continue um, with the same company, maybe another aircraft. But we'll see a couple of years. 7-3? Hopefully. Who knows? they got some 7-6s as well, don't they? Yes, they do. I'll steer clear of the 7-3. <laughs> I'll hit him for you, Myla. <laughs> Let's move down. Someone checking out, uh, doing the shopping at John Lewis. What are you buying? Uh, purely accidental. Uh, my name's Nigel. I'm from uh, West Cornwall. But to, to a certain extent, I've never been to anything like this before. But I'm closed a bit of a circle today in that many years ago, when there was runway 28, not 27, and, uh, and the, the reciprocal, runway um, 10. I worked just down the road here in Speedbird House as a flight medical officer. And uh, in those days, I used to attend meetings, regular little lunchtime meetings, uh, a club called the Penguin Club. And we used to meet in the Magpies or the King William IV on Sipson Lane or the White Horse down at Longford. I think that's enough pubs for the time being. <laughs> <laughs> and. Um, the Penguin Club was a club of people who worked at the airport, at the airfield here, and there were only two terminals in those days, and uh, they, were the, they, were the, they were the people who didn't fly, the birds that didn't fly. So we were known as the Penguin Club. Oh, so, oh, oh, very good. I've closed the, as I say, I, to a certain extent, I've closed the circle. I, it, my first contact really with the civil aviation was when I joined BOAC and BEA. Wonderful, thank you. You drive all the way up from West Cornwall today? There's, a, there's another story there. <laughs> um, I left my passport on my bed at home when we boarded the, or tried to board the aircraft in Newquay. Alan got on the flight because we came up together. What he what hadn't realised was that he'd left his iPad at the airfield. So because I had been delayed waiting for my wife to bring my passport, I was able to collect Alan's iPad and bring it up. Had oh I not God. left my passport <laughs> at home, he'd have lost his iPad maybe forever. Uh, why do you need a passport to fly from Newquay to London? I'm afraid that's what mm. they Them's the rules, huh? Okay. Hey. Yeah, hi. Um, well, I, I sort of uh, got onto uh, the Plane Talker UK also through APG. Um, Stumbled across APG about 18 you months ago, and then became a <laughs> <laughs> then became a long-term sufferer of the syndrome, of course. And uh, the rest is uh, history, really. And then uh, came across uh, plane talking, and really enjoy all the podcasts. And I think you guys do a wonderful job. You know, dedication and uh, hard work you put in. And um, just like to thank you all so much for all you do. Do great for the community. Thank you. Thank you. I, uh, I wonder over the years how many podcasts APG have given birth to. Yes. Kind of a. The, the aviation sluts. Well, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have big hips. 
also add uh, thank you also for your podcast. Oh, thank you. Uh, you do a podcast, Pip? What? Shut up. <laughs> hey, it's not about you today, we. <laughs> Yes. Anyway, you've got a marathon to plug at some point, no doubt. So, yeah. oh, I'll do that later. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. Yeah. Yes, sir. Hi, uh, I'm Alex Robinson. Uh, congratulations on 300. Congratulations on 400. Oh, sorry, Pip. Um, <laughs> How dare you touch my equipment? <laughs> At least without asking. Later. Big inspiration for me. Um, really, uh, both podcasts came into my life when I wasn't so sure whether I was going to get into commercial aviation. It's really inspired me and helped me. Uh, bring back that ambition to become a commercial pilot so thank you thank you everybody well done oh, well done. <laughs> not, not there yet but where, where are you in the journey uh i'm doing the ground theory the most fun part of have you done any of the exams yet i've done general nerve meteorology human performance and uh, one other one that's now slipped my mind. It's that important. Did you, pa- did you pass any? <laughs> did you pass any? Yes. Oh, well done. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a good, it's a good start. Yes, good start. So six yeah, down, 50 or 60 to go. Yeah, yeah, something like that. It's uh, four down, 10 to go. Awesome. Well, good luck. Hello. Hello there. Uh, I'm Stephen. I've come down from Yorkshire. Um, yep. Well, I'm from Lancashire, not Yorkshire, but... <laughs> Uh, yeah. well, um, still Northerners, common Northerners. Um, I've been listening to the podcast maybe just three or four months. So I discovered them recently. They help fill the dreary days at work. So started with PTUK, airline pilot guy, then got on to yours. So, uh, yeah. It's all been downhill to. then. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, great to, uh, to join up with these things and uh, hopefully there'll be a few more. Beautiful. Lovely to see you here. Who we got down here? Oh, we know this guy. Come on. You stay there. I'm going to sit over here. Hey. Hi, Dave W. here. I um, feel like I'm in a meeting of AvGeeks Anonymous. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm here because of weird promise free beer. Is that right? There is free it's beer behind in the back. you, yeah. Please, please help yourself. At the back. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and just, uh, I just enjoy these meetups and uh, getting to know everyone and seeing what they've been up to after the, the summer. And uh, it's good to see everyone in such fine form. So, brilliant. Thanks. Excellent. Are you with him? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. By the way, Dave, <laughs> just, okay. just before you finish, Dave, what, what's all this about all your uh, English breakfast? Do, do you have any other part of your diet, or you only have uh, I, the full English breakfast wherever you can? Well, I, d- I tell my friends that I, I drive around the country eating cooked breakfasts for a living, and so that started off me sharing the pictures with them, and that became uh, a Twitter thing. So now I'm the, someone actually, I think it was Tony, came up to me and says, you're the cooked breakfast guy, aren't you? I'm sorry. <laughs> so there we are. That's now my new moniker. <laughs> Brilliant. Excellent. Hey. Hello. I know about PTUK mostly through Matt Smith. Ah, uh, you're Matt Smith's friend. Yeah, friend from, um, yeah. I used to teach. And then I got into aviation, dipped back out of it, and I've come back into it. Yeah, because, I mean, you've been, to be fair, at the same, uh, Nangle's been obsessed with aviation, like, probably more than, I think you drive all most of the people here, and you've had quite a journey, actually, haven't you, to try and sort of, yeah, so live got, the dream. Literally. Yeah, got my CPL, got offer with EasyJet. That sort of went tits up. <laughs> went away from aviation. Now I'm back in aviation. So what's your plan? Uh, I now work at a private jet company in operations, oh. um, and I kind of try and work way up through that. Okay. So yeah. Based Farnborough. So pretty local. The one that's just 
got bought out? Uh, begin with B. Book a jet. Oh, yeah, I know. Okay. <laughs> it's not a secret. I don't know why I went with V. But yeah, work book a jet. Operations, I'm just trying to work my way up through that. Brilliant. Oh, good luck. All right, skip this guy. Hey, Adam. Hello. Um, yeah, you can skip me. I was just going to say, the gentleman who used to work at Heathrow for Burak and BA, we still go to the White Horse in Longford after, after a shift in the tower. Uh, possibly, but uh, but yeah. So and and still the the magpies as well is a popular haunt. So uh, we still go to the same pubs. Excellent. Uh, the, the people listening and perhaps watching live on YouTube won't have seen your excellent presentation earlier on, but mm -hmm. I, I really enjoyed that. It was fantastic. Thank Good. Yeah, Thank you very much. Hello. Hi. So I'm Carl's boss. <laughs> Whoa, yeah. Carl, you're in trouble. Yeah. What's he like as an employee? I bet he's rubbish, isn't he? Uh, no, he's great. He's great, and you know, I sort of—that's weird being here because I hear about it every day. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and so it's, it's putting the like putting the faces to the names, and you know, there's Nick and Captain Al and this, that, and the other. So, um, but yeah, brilliant show, and you know, um, I'm proud of him. He's a good guy. Excellent. Aww. Thanks, Jim. I feel sick. <laughs> I bet he did. Now, now, I guess, I say, now this gentleman is the, who, the one responsible for our marvellous screen. Thank you! Yeah. Hey. Hey. Can I take it home? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I'm Ross. I uh, started off with APG and PTUK and yours, Pip, as well. He used to keep me, keep me company while I uh, walked my flying lessons. Uh, so I'm based out of Elstree, private pilot, but um, I actually don't work in aviation. I'm, got into the inner circle more so by working with Nev or realising last year we both work in a similar industry, not the same company. Um, and yeah, just coming here, it's my first one. And it's really helped just uh, bring me more into the community. Realised today as well, this chap next to me, working in the same industry, lives a mile down the road from me and uh, very similar experiences in uh, our side of the industry as well. Excellent. Um, let me ask you, at L Street, is that one controller still there? You know the one I'm yeah, talking yeah, about, yeah. don't you? Uh, no? <laughs> That's what they say about you, Adam. <laughs> uh, no, he left or was uh, retired in whatever way about 18 months ago. Ju just as I started my training two years ago, he was still there, and even I said to the CFI, is this guy always a, a bit of a knob? <laughs> and he said, yeah. Wow. Uh, but no, now, now he's left, and there's about three of them, and they're all really lovely, and everyone's really accommodating. The only issue there is... All the neighbours, quite a lot of um, strict noise abatement mm -hmm. and then noise abatement changes all the time. Uh, especially now we're in night flying season, uh, the neighbours are even more particular about when they do and don't like night flying. So, But it's a fun place to fly out of, you know, nicely situated inside uh, or just under the London TMA, close to Luton, so you get a good uh, bit of exposure to everything. Yeah, it's a good little airfield. Yeah. Excellent. Moving on. Hello. Hello, afternoon. I'm Bob from London, and I'm a friend of Nev. Yeah, not many people admit to that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the only person I run into at Heathrow on a more regular basis, really. That's right. so, yes, uh, Not a pilot, a uh, passenger. Uh, fly quite often in a year, probably anywhere from 15 to 30 times a year, mm -hmm. uh, going through the big airports uh, all around the world. Uh, was introduced to PTUK by Nev. Uh, enjoy it as a 
uh, way to put me to sleep sometimes <laughs> on the aircraft. <laughs> uh, it's not just us, Jeff. To be fair, Steph, we are officially listed as the only na- known cure to actual insomnia by the NHS, so it, 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 it's, it's good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I enjoy all the conversations and the uh, tapping into it, especially when I'm in foreign climes where the only news is uh, Russia Today or CNN and you really want a different view on the world, it's PTUK gives me a, a bit of entertainment. Wonderful. Hey, Graham. Afternoon, Pip. So no planes crashed today? Uh, not that I'm aware of. It's been a good day, then? Yeah. <laughs> That's generally how we work. No, one, no one's dead that I know of, so good day. Excellent. Well, you work at, uh, you're one of Adam's colleagues, if people don't know, working over in the tower. Yeah. I thought it would be rude not to travel the half mile across and just say congratulations on 300. Ah. Did you um, did you clear any of these folks to land as they came in this morning? Uh, Steph's flight? I didn't, no, but I was well aware of Steph coming in and made sure that I started the aircraft that was on her stand so it could be pushed back long for it to park. We did pull right on to stand. I do you appreciate did? that. That was very nice. Thank I you. I was keeping an eye yes, on it. Don't you. So you're the one that delayed Captain Jeff getting on the stand. I, I wasn't working his, yesterday. His that was all on Adam. occupied. And no, no, it was <laughs> oh, that was Adam, was it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Right. I was going. I was driving circles around the airport, waiting to pull in and pick him up. I was going. Forty-five minutes. What's the matter with you? I think he did it just so that he could uh, have some airtime on YouTube, <laughs> <laughs> or whatever that was we were watching. So, you're amongst friends here. You can talk honestly. What's Adam like to work with? Adam, I bet he's an absolute monster. No, Adam's excellent. He, he writes some excellent instructions downstairs and then comes upstairs and moves aeroplanes around efficiently. Fair enough. There you, there you have it. I think he wants a race. <laughs> <laughs> Is his annual assessment due? That's due soon, right? Yeah. Lovely. Thanks, Graham. Moving across, man with the big camera. Uh, yeah, it's Chris Quiggs. Been interested in aviation for as long as I can remember. Um, took my first flight on a Delta L1011 uh, when I was about se- se- <laughs> 70 year- years old. Got, got to go up b- before terrorism, so we got to go up to the flight deck and um, been interested ever ever since. Uh, started listening to PTUK uh, just after the 200th episode and slowly got myself immersed in the community and uh, I just need to say I think I need to uh, uh, double my commission for the uh, A220 video I sent you since it's been out on the highlights yeah. episode yeah. 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 it's because Carlos keeps forgetting that we've actually had one sent in oh. That's why. <laughs> yeah. brilliant thank you Hi. Hi, I'm James, I'm fairly new to PTUK, uh, I've been working in aviation about 10 years uh, in ATC, uh, I'm a controller at Middle Wallop, I don't know if anyone's heard of it. Ooh, military controller. Oh, civvy. Control. Oh. Uh, oh, right, well that's not as good then. Well, I've heard of Middle Wallop. We can take all those oohs back. <laughs> so, is, um, that, is that the Army Air Corps? It is the Army Middle Air Corps. Yeah, so, I thought yeah. so, yeah, uh, just full of... Apache. Pongos, flying choppers, <laughs> really bad news. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> what's, uh, what's Middle Wallop like to work at? I bet it's, it's fairly quiet? It is at the moment, yeah. So they're sort of um, running down the Apaches for a new model that have been brought out. So they're going to ship back to America. And then they'll come back from America and it'll start ramping back up again in about the next sort of, 18 months. Are these the Apaches that uh, can't fly in cloud? <laughs> Wasn't that the issue? Whoa! <laughs> 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 
<laughs> tried to kill a few of us. Like, look how close. I mean, you more than me, but still. <laughs> great view now, great view, unobstructed. Did we, did we pay the security deposit first for him? <laughs> <laughs> we'll do a plain tile on that later. Well done, Carlos. Thank you. Sorry, before you were so, so yeah, rudely the, the interrupted. It actually can fly in cloud. It can now fly in cloud. Absolutely. Oh, all you Well, it could fly in cloud before, but only for a little while. <laughs> Brilliant. Yep. You plan to stay at Middle Wallop or you got uh, ambitions to move on? So I've just uh, done a radar rating, which I'm in the process of validating, so maybe a couple more years. Ooh, well. There's your man to talk to down there. Or somewhere? <laughs> Where would you want to go? Uh, look at it commercial, so not sure just yet, but okay. Yeah. Well, I, I hear they've got some nice job of, of Macrohanish. <laughs> yeah, I have no idea, Jeff. I'm totally lost on that one. Oh, it's it's some little place in northern Scotland. Ah, that would be why. Where nobody yeah, lives. No idea. Except the yes. people in Macrohanish. Great. Well, good luck to you. Let's move on, Tanya. Yes, hello. Hey. Hi, I'm uh, Hi, Tanya, Tanya. From, from New York City, and I flew in yesterday on a 747 for the first time on wow. British Airways. <laughs> yes, very exciting. And I'm so thrilled to be here to celebrate the PTUK 300th show. Congratulations. You're all wonderful people, and it's so great to be here meeting a lot of wonderful new people and seeing a lot of old friends as well. Lovely. How was, uh, how was BA? It was great, yeah. Yeah, the the seat was not comfortable though. <laughs> were, you, were you not in uh, not in business? That's Boeing for no. you. No, <laughs> I was in the back, <laughs> but it was good. Yeah. Brilliant. Uh, I have something for you later on, so don't go before. Family show, ladies and gentlemen. Family show. I got something. As promised, when I put out the call, I'm going to plug my marathon thing now, Matt. When I put out the call for uh, for cash, I said there's a special prize for the first person ah, to, yes. to uh, put up some cash, and you were the first person, so you get a special prize. Excellent. You can have it later. Well, we're all very scared as to what that might be. Yes. Oh yeah, brace yourself. Yes. <laughs> Why, eh? Hello. You like Jordy Man? Hello, Pip. Uh, I'm Tony from North Yorkshire, um, and I'd just like to thank all the PTUK crew for all the hard work they do. I started listening about episode 50, and it's really gone from strength to strength over the years. Um, and again, people like Captain Jeff, who have created a marvellous community and put on events like this. Um, I'd also like to thank um, Adam for his presentation earlier, and Captain Nick for his brilliant playing Tales, the first ever live one, I believe. So that was fun. And I get to meet people like you and fellow pilots and enthusiasts. Excellent. Now tell me honestly, did you prefer PTUK back in the old days of Simon? <laughs> well, <laughs> he, he was great. I was trying to Where think. Where is Simon? Bring back Simon. Bring back Simon. <laughs> I was trying to think when I first started listening to PTUK. I think it might have been about episode 50, so I'm not, I don't recall those very early episodes. Matt, w when did you come on board? I forget. It was a bit later than uh, that, wasn't episode it? Episode 60, wasn't it? Something like that, 61? No, it's, it's before then, I think. Is it? I yeah. Really? Yeah. Uh, I'll look it up one day. 
<laughs> I don't know. <laughs> You've been there that long. Yeah. And when did Nev come on board full time? Um, oh, about three years ago, I guess. Two and a half, three years ago. Mm-hmm. Like that. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> and uh, I don't know what I got myself into, but it's very enjoyable working with these guys. Although I have to say, it's a bit, I've, it's a bit like um, being a uh, counsellor for a, a couple that are about to be divorced all the time. <laughs> the, the arguments and the sarcasm. Oh, How did but, you end up um, sitting between them again? <laughs> but actu- actually, they're, they're a fabulous bunch of people and uh, uh, they work so hard to put the show on every week, plus all the other th- bits and pieces that we do as well so uh, I've got to say guys thanks ever so much for welcoming me into your show and thank you for all you do as well so that's very yeah. nice thank you no I, I was saying that as the token American on the show uh, we have a private chat between the four of us and every day I learn about three new British sayings or Britishisms and the uh, most of the time I have no idea what they're talking about so I either have to look it up on Google or or just ask them be like is I can't I can't tell are we making fun of somebody or are we making fun of ourselves or uh, oh oh, it's just food never mind (laughs) (laughs) lovely jubbly thanks Amanda yes sir hi yeah I'm Steve Uh, so I've come from Stavanger in Norway I live in Stavanger in Norway uh, I recently got into the podcast, reports podcast actually, uh, Layovers. Uh, I was doing a lot of business travel at the time and it struck a chord and awesome. went on to APG and PTUK in your own, which I, which I enjoy a lot. So uh, I was over for Duxford in the summer and I enjoyed it. So it gives me an excuse to come over for a weekend to the old country. Mm-hmm. Here I am. Brilliant, thank you. There's no spare chairs over there. I'm just going to lean over. <laughs> hey guys. Oh, yeah. Um, my name's Colin from Norwich. Um, I'm here to support my son. Um, just driven down um, yesterday, or today, I oh know, this morning we drove down. Um, he's been suffering from flu, so I had to drive him down here. Um, so here to support him. Um, seemed to be a very uh, poor dad, because uh, he's a sparring pilot, so. Uh-oh, uh-oh. Brilliant, good for you. Have you got the strength to, to talk? Have you uh, already yeah, meet, not mortgaged your house? Not yet. Uh, <laughs> soon to. Fingers crossed. Yep. Run away. There's <laughs> uh, Sam. Sam, and you're starting down the path, or soon to start down the path of uh, commercial aviation? Well, at the moment I'm just looking around the different schools and things, but hopefully by the end of the year I'll start, um, start an integrated course somewhere. Excellent. Well, there aren't so many options either. Oxford or what are, what are the options these days? Um, there's uh, two in Oxford, Gloucester, Southampton, and uh, there's always Florida. It's way sunnier down here. Yeah, <laughs> I, I've got, I haven't really looked at the American ones, but I might have a look at them. Uh, as and well. cheaper. Yeah. I think unless things have changed, a lot of the UK schools do part of the flying training in the states anyway, don't they? Yeah, the, the actual flying is often done abroad, but the ground school is based in the uh, UK. Sam, I'm, I'm sort of suddenly thinking you, the, probably the, the colour of your dad's hair is literally changing as, <laughs> as this conversation. Grey by the second. Suddenly he's off to America. <laughs> so, what's the what's the dream in ten years, fifteen years time from now? Where do you want to be? Which airline? What aircraft? 
Um, probably VA Dreamliners. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Well, best of luck to you. I'm sure you're going to do well. Mm. Hello. Afternoon, sir. Uh, Ruben Wells, uh, private pilot for about 25 years. I uh, would have come in or tried to fly into Heathrow this morning, but Adam said uh, I wasn't allowed to bring my my piper in. What? So instead, you can fly I, it into Charlotte if you ever are in the states. <laughs> well, I'm actually uh, just on my way home from Charlotte via New York, oh, so I okay. did the red eye as well last night. Oh. Um, thought I'd stop here on the way. Were you on the same flight? No. No, you went through New York. Yeah. Yeah. And got stuck at JFK when they couldn't remove the uh, the jet bridge for an hour and a half. Oh, no. They were looking for a forklift truck at one point to move it. That's JFK for you. Sounds unfortunate. And that's the <laughs> least of your problems. Where do you do your private flying from? Uh, Biggin Hill, Thurrock. Uh, flown quite a few places in Europe, uh, in the US. Um, been into Morocco. Mm. And you're an aeroplane or you rent or? Share. You share, okay. Excellent. In a, did you say Piper? Yep. Low wing. Oh. PA-28, the regular? Arrow, yeah. Oh, an arrow. Flashy. You like owl. Which one? Uh, Not which owl, which arrow? Three. There's only one owl. <laughs> <laughs> the arrow three. Nice aeroplane. Excellent. Uh, we have a, an update, actually, because uh, somebody in Dubai is uh, watching the show. Apparently, Matt started on episode 36 as a guest. And then I was regular from episode 41, apparently. So there you are. Thank you, Owen. <laughs> PTK UK keeps you regular. You heard it from Matt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's better than all brand. It really is. <laughs> Hello. Hello. Don't be confused. You're confused? Yeah, concierge told me that the interview for the kitchen staff was here. So, <laughs> I don't know what this is all about, really. I don't like trains. So I like trains. <laughs> Well, you got the job, so congratulations. <laughs> no, seriously, I'm from Rochester. Um, that's in the UK, not America. And um, home of the um, an aircraft that your father used to fly, apparently. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, so the the, VC uh, the Is it Sutherland? Oh, the Sunderland. Yeah, yes. Sunderland, even. Well, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it was produced at Rochester on River Medway. Well, I never. So uh, Shorts had a factory there, did they? Yeah. Uh, Shorts originally flew out of um, uh, Isle of... Where is it now? Isle of Sheppey. Well, I that's learned they, something new every day. That's where they first started all their testing. Oh, brilliant. Well, say hello to the place when you get back there for me. But, uh, yeah, I'm, at the moment I'm looking to start the commercial exams next year, or mm -hmm. start the course uh, at Bristol Ground School. Uh, APG have given me the inspiration to go for my go for my dream. Excellent. Brilliant, good for you. And from we, APG, I've started listening to PTUK, and when I get back home, I start listening to your podcast. Lovely. Moving <laughs> 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 on. Everyone's got to start somewhere, Pip. It's okay. What a compliment that was. <laughs> yes, sir. Yeah. Good afternoon. I'm Phil. Um, Carl's. Uh, well, as you can probably tell, his father, um, probably responsible for getting him started in this because uh, well, yeah, you wouldn't be here if you yeah. were well, around, and for uh, <laughs> getting him interested in planes, aviation, and whatnot, because um, he'd probably never tell you this, but uh, he used to spend a lot of time off school um, when he should have been there. Uh, <gasps> yeah. oh, he was a, he was a naughty boy. Oh, yeah, yeah. So uh, <laughs> well. 
I guess this is your big opportunity to embarrass him and, and get him back for all those years of hell he's probably oh. put you through, so crack on. I wouldn't want to put you through all the years. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, he's been a bloody good boy, really. Um, quite proud of him. Um, when he started this off, I thought, he, he explained to me what he was doing, and I said, why, who's interested in that sort of thing, you know? And, uh, <laughs> Many of us still and ask that question as each day passes. Yeah, and, <laughs> you know, I've actually had to eat my words because I was at the, I went to the 200th, uh, which was absolutely great, and I've been to a few other ones or uh, meetups since then. And, um, you know, all I can say is I'm really proud of, you know, what's, what he started, or the, you know, the two of them originally started. And, um, you know, just, well, how it's gone, it's pretty brilliant. Thanks, it's wonderful. We need to bust out a few tissues over here, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cutting onions up here, it's fine. Yeah. Pay no attention. <laughs> so from father to boss. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Hi. Hi, Pip. I'm Carl's other boss. Um, yeah. um, I'm Gemma, for anyone that doesn't um, know me. No, so. we, we no. all know who Gemma is. I know, is, I know. Uh, we um, nearly made her bring shopping with her and unpack it, like, in front of <laughs> <I> like it. <laughs> <laughs> um, well done, guys, for everything. I, I am, uh, I, I jest, there's, there's so many things I could say about the podcast and how that's changed my life. Um, <laughs> Please do. Yeah, well done for everything you, you, you guys have done. It is um, truly amazing, actually, you know, what, what you guys do. Um, the show's success, I guess, has, has brought me two things. One, uh, some amazing new friends um, uh, and um, to be part of an amazing community. And two, the fact I do get to put my shopping away in peace now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's the only reason Gemma is so nice to me, because I took the I, we, we took it out of the kitchen and put it in a studio at my house. I, I can still remember yeah. the, the very day that I said to Gemma, I said that we're moving the studio out of the kitchen. It's going to be somewhere else from now on. It was like... <laughs> It's just like I can cook my jacket potatoes. So in happy, peace. Gemma! Yeah. I feel so like happy. I feel like um, you had some fans of your own, though. Like they would yeah. look forward to be like, "Oh, like Gemma's home with the shopping when they're in the kitchen studio." <laughs> and I think it used to be, "What is Gemma eating for dinner tonight?" Exactly. And I think I could have had my own spin-off, quite possibly. But, yes, um, yes. but no, no. Well done. I, I do jest. I do recall a, you know, a, a moment. Do you remember, Carl? One of perhaps my favourite moments is when we were on holiday in Malta, and you were that dedicated to the show. We'd gone on holiday. We'd, we'd hired a villa with friends. And Carl was that dedicated to the show that he said, yeah, I'm going to still do the podcast. So um, myself and my um, friend and her other half said, right. So he went up on an upper level. Um, to get out of the way. To get out of the way on a balcony. So we thought it would be really funny to get, um, uh, you know what you kind of clean the pool with, the big net with the uh, long sticks. So we fashioned from some cardboard a Hello Mum sign. And uh, as he was <laughs> broadcasting, I don't know what episode this is, but maybe uh, Owen will probably know. Yeah, leave, leave it leave with Owen. He'll, he'll look uh, it up now. So as Carl was podcasting gladly away behind us, we just uh, raised the sign and kind of waved it. And he was none the wise. I think it might have been Pip that actually said, uh, Carlos, I think you have a sign behind you. So <laughs> just, I like to keep him, you know, on a level ground. But no, well done, everybody. Lovely. I think Chairman deserves a round of applause <laughs> for putting up with all of this nonsense. Barbara, how are you doing? Hello, I'm Barbara from Nottingham. Nottingham. <laughs> Nottingham. Uh, a up my dock, that's um, hello in Nottingham. Um, yeah, congratulations, uh, PTUK 300 anniversary. And uh, I th 
first started watching Captain Jeff's APG and eventually it led me to Plain Talking UK. So and uh, and Pip Pip your um, podcast and uh, Airplane Geeks and I've met some fantastic people um, in the last few years. So uh, yeah, and it's so wonderful to see people from America. So there's Captain Jeff, Tanya, Fred. I could go on and on. There's so many. So uh, thanks for coming over. It's lovely to see you. <laughs> um, yeah, I uh, I got here a bit late. I was a bit. Uh, annoyed with myself because I missed half of Adam's fantastic talk this morning. I heard half an hour of it. Uh, I just missed the exit. (laughs) 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 I'm sure you won't mind me mentioning that Barbara is the last person in the entire known universe who still uses a paper roadmap. She has no concept of GPS (laughs) or Apple Maps. She's got a, a, a bloody atlas. Yeah, <laughs> it's true actually. Yeah, um, yeah. I tend to shy away from uh, modern technology, so maybe that's why I missed the exit. So I was lost for about twenty minutes. <laughs> so um, sorry, Adam. I would love to have heard all of it, but uh, we had. I've just in the last year through all this kind of aviation podcast family. I've been to Duxford. We had a fantastic meetup at Duxford in Cambridgeshire. That was, I think, in May. And then I went to Oshkosh, uh, the uh, big APG meetup there, and it was fantastic. And thank you, Pip, for looking out for me, and Dave, Dave Abbey. Both of you were fantastic. And uh, then, oh, obviously now, so um, the 300th. And, uh, yeah, so it's really, really fantastic. And I have to say, I was really stressed when I pulled up here in the car park because I was late. And I just got out of the car, and the first thing I smelt was the aviation fuel. And, and the noise of the jets going down the runway, and it just, oh, I tell you, all my stress faded away. And I just thought, oh, yeah, I'm back home. I love it. Brilliant. Glad you made it. Almost there. Saving the best for last. Hi, uh, I'm Lee, and uh, from the home of Plane Talking, we're from Bungie. uh, Bungie! Bungie! That's London Bungie. That's London Bungie, yeah. Uh, Long-time friend and former work colleague of Mr. Smith. We got into the show, obviously, through Matt's involvement in the show it's great as i say quite often like some of the backdrops and stuff are like pictures that, are, that lee's taken like on recent holidays and stuff so yeah, yeah, yeah. and the pain everybody work, can do that by the way and so. the pain work and the building of the and studio the and paint, yes. yes they may have done yes maintenance yeah. In the, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah there we are okay that's, that's it yeah well done can i go now yes yeah, that's fine <laughs> <laughs> we'll tidy it up in post it's fine uh anyway we need to wrap up yeah, I suppose we better do, aren't we? Yeah, well, it's, it's, we're now we're now approaching nearly three hours. Oh, wow! Oh, really? <laughs> you see how, you see how easy that yeah. is to do. It just the yeah. time just melts it's away. It's almost a whole show. Yeah. Yeah. Almost, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, I think it's the longest show we've we've ever done. <laughs> we're just trying to compete, guys. What can yeah. I say? No, Jeff, they're trying to take over our game here. I don't know. Yeah. So we're going to say a big thanks then to everyone who is uh, watching the show live on YouTube because there is quite a full chat room watching the show across the globe at the moment. Who's so, there? Uh, 
Oh, do you want me to run through the list of names? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's another hour's show. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we're, a so lot guys, of we, the community yeah, are watching. We're, we're going we're to start wrapping up, but of course he's been sitting there patiently for so long, bless him. Poor Armando. Uh, we, we better have some words from him, I think. <laughs> oh, I couldn't follow up every everything that uh, everybody said there in the audience, like everybody else. Congratulations, guys, on your 300. It's awesome to see all the familiar faces in the audience as well as some new faces. So it's always great to put uh, you know names and faces together in this weird virtual world that we live in. But uh, congratulations, guys, again, and here's to a uh, lot more episodes. There we are. Right, it's it's time then. You, you, you can wrap up for a change. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Thanks. What you guys can't see when we do the live show in the studio is normally when I do the lead out to the show, Matt is going... <laughs> this at me really furiously. So... Um, what can we talk about now? Anything else, Matt? Oh, uh, come on. Oh, okay. <laughs> I want a drink. So, <laughs> a big thanks then to everyone who's joined us in the studio audience. Give yourselves a big round of applause. <laughs> so, from me, Carlos here, Matt, Nev, Armando, and all the team from APG, Plane Safety Podcast, and the Layovers Podcast. Paul, thanks for coming. It's the 300 show end, so thanks everyone for coming. Good night. Oh, take care. Good night, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Bye.